Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We are in Surah Al-Isra, otherwise known as Surah Bani Israel, verse number 60. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Al-Rajim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. وَإِذْ كُنَّا لَكَ إِنَّ رَبَّكَ أَحَاطَ أَحَاطَ بِالنَّاسِ وَمَا جَعَلْنَا الرُّؤْيَ الَّتِي عَلَيْنَاكَ إِلَّا فِتْنَةً لِلنَّاسِ Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about this incident of Mi'raj, which we discussed in detail yesterday. The translation here is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that indeed did we not say to you that your Rabb has all-encompassing knowledge over each and every single human being. So it's the first thing, often repeated theme, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows each and everything about every single one. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to what they think in their button when they hear something about deen, and specifically Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows in the heart of the disbelievers at this moment what occurred to their mind when they first heard about the incident of Mi'raj. وَمَا جَعَلْنَا الرُّؤْيَا A ru'ya, this word is used both for live vision and also for dream. So this is what I had alluded to briefly yesterday. This can be used for Basirat and Basarat. Here this is referring to Aru'ilati Arainaka that and we only made the vision that we showed you, Nabi Akrim Sallallahu Illa Fitnatan the Nas as a test for the people. As a test for the people. What does that mean? This is the test for the disbelievers that would they believe that vision and all the things Allah Subhanahu showed Sayyidina Rasulullah on Israel and Miraj would they believe that or not? So fitna here simply means test. Fitna doesn't mean sedition or trial, but every test is a type of trial because if you fail that trial, then it leads to sedition and corruption and mischief in this world. Okay, now this is referring to a second thing Allah SWT is saying that we made the vision, the visions and all the things that we showed you in Miraj as a test just like we had made the accursed tree a test for people and that accursed tree fil Qur'an is the one that is mentioned in Qur'an so in Surah 37 verses 61 to 68 Allah SWT mentions this tree and this is a tree known as a kum that is a word in Arabic used for this tree and this is the tree that is in Jahannam this is a tree that is in Jahannam and the fruits of that tree are so bitter and sour and in that passage of Quran verse, Surah 37 verses 61-68 Allah mentions how the people who are, will be the inhabitants of Jahannam will be forced to eat from that fruit so the kuffar when they heard this and particularly Abu Jahl when he heard this he started mocking because he said how could there be a tree in fire he was using his akal right? how could there be a tree in Jahannam look this is such a khilafi akal such an irrational thing that the Prophet is saying. So they started mocking this thing called zakum. Then another one of the mushrikeen said, No, no, I know what zakum is. Mockingly said that zakum is butter and dates. Now butter and dates actually are considered by the Arabs to be two of the greatest types of food. And then he brought butter and dates and again very sarcastically, mockingly said to the other mushrikeen, Let's all eat zakum together. And they started laughing. Because they were denying the Akhirah, denying the punishment of Jahannam. So whether they believed or not in Zakum, again was a fitna, was a test for them. So Allah SWT saying, mentioned these two things in Quran. And then what does Allah SWT say? فَمَا يَزِيدُهُمْ إِلَّا تَوْيَانًا كَبِيرًا That it only increases to and adds to their tremendous insolence. Now, 
What does this mean? This is a sign for us that you find this today also. That any time you hear something about Deen that does not make sense to your common sense, right? That is a test for you. That is a fitna. That is a test and a trial for you. And if because it does not fit in somebody's sense or common sense, they start mocking it, they are sarcastic about it, they are cynical about it, then Allah subhanahu wa says that the more and more they are tested, the more they will increase in their insolence, their arrogance, their haughtiness. And you will find that in the agnostic and atheist community today, that the more and more they hear about deen, or they hear something about deen, which is something that is meant to be accepted on iman, they start mocking it. And this is exactly a case for them. Whether it's the concept of Isra and Miraj, whether it's this concept of the accursed trees, Zakum, or anything else that they hear, it makes them increase in their arrogance towards the deen of Islam. Next, وَإِذْ قُلْنَا لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ اسْجُدُوا لِآدَمَ فَسَجَدُوا إِلَّا إِبْلِيسِ This is something that we covered the entire details of the story last year when it came up in Surah Bakr and Surah Al-Araf. So here we're just going to talk about the particular detail of that story that Allah SWT is going to add over here. But first he does refer to the original incident and when we declare to all of the angels that they should do sajda to Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam all of them simultaneously did sajda illa Iblis except for Iblis. Allah and then Iblis retorted, he spoke back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that what should I do sajda to that being, to that one who you have created from earth? Now, this was something we discussed before that Iblis is made from fire and Sayyidina Adam is made from earth. Again, that means that human beings are made from the periodic table of elements. They are made from those things that are found in the earth. You are not literally, physically a piece of pottery or clay. You are made from the periodic table of elements. In other words, you have inside you calcium, potassium, magnesium, what is in your blood, what is in your bones, what is in your meat, what is in your flesh. You eat, everything you eat is a produce of the earth or that which feeds on the earth. Either we eat grains, fruits and vegetables all grown from the earth and they all grow because of the nutrients of the earth inside of them or you eat animals that themselves eat grains or vegetables or you eat animals that eat animals who eat grains and vegetables but either way everything that you're nourished in also ultimately can be traced to the nourishment and nutrients that Allah SWT has put on this earth. So here Sayyidina, oh, Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam was created from Deen. So this is what Iblis said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now, the second thing that Iblis said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that okay, don't you see that this being who you have honored and favored above and over me, that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or you, if you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant me reprieve and respite, إلى يوم القيامة until the day of judgment لا أحتنكن ذريته إلا قليلا that I will aggress I will surely and certainly subdue some it can even literally mean subdue by the nose I will subdue and subjugate their the progeny of Adam عليه السلام إلا قليلا except a few قال and Allah سبحانه وتعالى said إذهب go 
get out. But this is the way of Allah Ta'ala answering that yes, yes, you have your reprieve and respite. Go. Idham, go. فَمَنْ تَبِعْكَ مِنْهُمْ That in each and any one of the progeny of Adam salam that chooses to follow you, Iblis, فَإِنَّ جَهَنَّمَ جَزَاءُكُمْ That know that Jahannam, the fire of hell, جَزَاءُكُمْ Not جَزَاءُهُمْ Not that anyone who follows you, any and everyone who follows you, their recompense and their role will be Jahannam. Your, all of yours recompense and role will be Jahannam. In both those humans who follow you and you, Shaitan, for leading them away, your destiny and the jaza for that will that you will be in the fire of Jahannam. Jaza'am mawfura. And this is an ample and sufficient reward for what you intend to do and an ample and sufficient reward for them if they choose to follow you in being led astray. Then Allah SWT continues, Wastafzir. That go ahead and incite and inflame whomsoever you have the capacity to. Incite and inflame from the progeny of Adam al-Islam, Iblis, whoever you are able to. Number one, bisotika, by means of your voice. What does it mean here by means of your voice? Uh, this can be number one, the waswasa, the power of waswasa that Allah SWT gave Iblis. Second, it means the resources of voice and sound such as music, or backbiting, or slander, right? This is why Sayyidina Rasulullah said in authentic hadith that my Rabb has commanded me to destroy all musical instruments because that's why they are viewed as alat of shaitan because in Quran Allah SWT is mentioning that shaitan will use sot, he will use voice and sound in order to lead people astray. And the majority of commentators have taken it in that literal sense, not the waswasa, but actually the voice and sound that you may hear in this world that incites and invites a person to do haram. And then you should muster against them all of your cavalry and your infantry. This is an idiom, it means an expression in Arabic, it means all of your resources. And you can muster and accost and send against them any and all of your resources. وَشَارِكُمْ فِي amwal, And then you can become the partners and sh- you can become a partner and share with them in their wealth. وَالْأَوْلَادِ And with their children. وَإِذْهُمْ And you can make promises to them. So what does it mean to share in their wealth? So Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abbas he explained that shaitan sharing in wealth means that he will have his objectives share in their wealth means they will either earn haram from a haram source of income haram revenue or they will spend on haram even if they have earned lawful halal wealth that is how shaitan will become sharik in their wealth that's how he will enter into their wealth how does he enter into olad? it means that he will make people have illegitimate children when I was visiting America a few weeks ago, there's a magazine there known as The New Republic. And it reported that 46% of children are now illegitimate. 46 means pretty much half of children are illegitimate. What in our deen are called walad zina Right? And this is the way shaitan is entering into the process of mm, procreation. Becoming shaykh in that by... Cr- Inviting people to such practices 
of unlawful zina that leads to illegitimate children. Another way the Mufassirin have mentioned that he will be a partner in this process of child rearing and is child raising is that he will convince them to do practices of shirk in order to protect their children. And another way that he gets involved is that he will incite them to earn haram income for the sake of their children. Another way he will be involved is that he will prevent them from doing the proper tarbiyah, proper moral and spiritual upbringing of their children. So in many ways one can imagine that shaitan is going to enter into those, these two areas. This is why it is very important once Allah SWT has given us this hidayah in Quran that we should protect ourselves from shaitan and we should be very careful and conscientious about where we earn what are our sources of income how we spend that income and we should be very careful about child rearing and child raising because this is what Allah SWT is mentioning in the Quran this is where shaitan is going to try to be a shariq or enter and take a share and try to be our partner in the life that we are trying to live and the last thing وَإِذْهُمْ is that shaitan will promise them what type of promises now that Allah Ta'ala shifts this is in Arabic called iltifat Allah Ta'ala shifts tenses وَمَا يَأْدُهُمَ shaitan illa ghurura that in shaitan Iblis can never make any promise to them meaning the progeny the children of Sayyidina Adam illa ghurura except delusion and deception right. and what are those promises? well for example shaitan will try to promise someone that no it's okay if you don't follow the commandment of Allah SWT nothing will really happen Allah SWT really won't punish you this is not really a duty not really an obligation so in this entire passage now Allah SWT is not telling Iblis to do all of these things He's not commanding him not recommending to him actually Allah SWT is revealing to Iblis that yes I know what you have in mind I know why it is that you are asking me. Because Iblis asked it, give me this muhla, give me this reprieve. And I will lead them astray. So Allah Ta'ala is showing him, I know everything you have in your heart and mind. I know all your intentions, your machinations. That you want to do this and you want to do that. And you think that you can lead them astray this way and that way. So Allah Ta'ala counts many of them out to show Iblis. It's not that Allah Ta'ala is guiding Iblis how to lead us astray, or Allah Ta'ala is commanding him how to lead us astray. Allah Ta'ala is making apparent what Iblis already harbored in his breast. And then Allah Ta'ala says, right, after making it well clear to Iblis that I know why you want this reprieve and muhla, I know what you plan to do, then Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala addresses Iblis and says, Inna ibadi laysa laka alayhum sultan, that know that as far as my ibad are concerned, as far as my devoted and devout slaves and worshippers are concerned, لَيْسَ لَكَ alayhim sultan That you will have no authority over them whatsoever. Allahu Akbar. So even Iblis recognized in himself when he said, I will be able to lead them astray, إِلَّا kalila, Except for a few. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defined how I know how you're going to lead them astray. And let me tell you who are those few, or maybe more than few, that you will not be able to lead astray, those are my ibad. So this means that as long as a person is connected to ibadah and ubudiyya, as long as we are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, humbling ourselves before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, shaitan nor any of his shayateen, nor his cavalry or infantry, or any of his resources, or any jinn that may be following him, none of them can affect a person if we enter the ibad of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
in Quran. And indeed your Rabb is sufficient for you as a guardian. So what does it mean now again? The concept of wakil, tawakkul. You have to trust upon Allah SWT. Your job is to be an abd and do ibadah, be a worshipful slave, and then trust and leave everything else to the caretaking and guardianship of Allah SWT, even if shaitan has all of these plans against us. Alright. Then Allah SWT begins another passage. رَبَّكُمُ يُجْدِلَكُمُ الْفُلْكَ فِي الْبَحْرِ Alright, here Allah SWT is saying is your Rabb is the one who has propelled the ships for you to sail on the sea so that you can seek the bounty so you can seek his bounty so that you can seek his bounty لِتَبْتَغُوا مِنْ فَضْلِهِ Alright, now what does this mean? In one sense Allah has propelled the ships to the sea by creating the wind that used to move the sails and later on Allah Ta'ala created intellect, the ability in human beings to design a steam engine and other types of engine that they could themselves, without the wind, propel the boats across the sea. But that was also done because of the guidance of Allah Ta'ala, the intellectual ability that Allah Ta'ala gave men. So don't think, again, some modernists try to suggest that, oh, this is ancient stuff and this is when there were sailboats and now we have invented who's propelling us. The same Allah Ta'ala is propelling you. Because Allah Ta'ala propelled your ship when you didn't have a developed mind by wind in the sails or Allah Ta'ala propelled your mind to develop a steam engine or machine engine to propel the ship across the sea. The Tabtaghu min means to seek the bounty of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. This is an indication of the importance of trade. Right? And this is also used as a permission that yes, sometimes it is permissible to engage don't get overly happy here, but it is a showing in Quran that import, export, trade, sending cargo, material from one place to another, international trade. Allah SWT has mentioned that as long as you do it within Sharia, that is a way to get the fuzzle of Allah SWT, that is a way to get the risk of Allah SWT. So no one should think that the Quran, Allah SWT makes it clear, there is a practical element. You're allowed to seek your risk, you're allowed to strive so hard that you're going to send cargoes of ship across the world to do that. It's fine. And you may even have to go to such lengths in order to seek the fuzzle, the bounty and the risk of Allah subhanahu Right? Right? Yes, that element is there. إِنَّهُ kana bikum rahima. Allah subhanahu is ever merciful with you. Kana comes for istimrar. Allah Ta'ala is ever and always forever merciful with you. His rahim is not occasional, is not sporadic, is not momentary, it's da'im. Allah SWT is ever merciful with you. Alright. Then Allah SWT is going to mention something that happens since we're talking about this issue of ships at sea. So Allah SWT is going to mention this. What a person does and how they react when they're at sea. وَإِذَا مَسَّكُمَ الظُّرُّ فِي الْبَحْرِ that when any adversity afflicts you, when you were at sea, then all of those whom you made dua to, you called upon, you prayed to, besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they vanish. What does it mean? It means on the one hand that literally there is no power that is able to help you when you're in that situation. Number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that you also will stop praying to your false gods and you'll remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like you say in Urdu. Right? So that's what's going to happen to you. 
However, then فَلَمَّا نَجَّاكُمْ إِلَى الْبَدْرِ Then when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala returns you safely to dry land, means back to the shores, then what do you do? أَعْرَضْتُمْ You turn away. You turn away from Him. Now this can be literal, it is also metaphorical. Whenever you're in the storm of life, any storm of difficulty, you forget everything you, and you were calling it Allah Ta'ala. But when Allah Ta'ala takes you out of that storm of difficulty and brings you to the shores of ease and comfort, then you forget Him. You turn away from Him. Right? وَقَالَ الْإِنسَانُ kafura. And indeed, humanity is ever ungrateful. You have kana over there about the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you have kana over here. So indeed, humanity is ever and always ungrateful. So very ungrateful. Then Allah ta'ala asks a question. Afa'amintum That can you ever feel safe? Are you sure? Can you ever be sure? Can you ever feel safe and secure? That Allah Ta'ala will not have you swallowed up on earth when you are back on land. Or that He will not unleash a storm that rains, rains stones down upon you. What does it mean now? Literally it means that if you have been brought back to dry land, there an earthquake could happen, you could be swallowed by land. Some type of hailstorm or other way, some other storm can afflict you even on land, even if you're not on sea. Metaphorically, it means that when Allah Ta'ala brings you out of difficulty into ease, even when you are in ease, if you decide to turn away from Him and are ungrateful to Him, then He can afflict you, set another difficulty your way. That same Allah Ta'ala who sent the difficulty in the first place, took you out of that difficulty and brought you into ease, if you are ungrateful and turn away from Him, that same Allah Ta'ala can afflict you again with difficulty and adversity. And in such a case, then what will happen? لا تجدوا لكم وكيلا And then in such a case, you will not find any guardian other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So better to take Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as our wakil and our guardian and protector and caretaker at the outset and throughout. Am amintum Then Allah ta'ala asks another question. That secondly, or do you feel secure and safe that Allah ta'ala can take you back to the sea once again? And then send a heavy tempest of winds against you and drown you because of your because of your being so ungrateful. Here the word kufr, although normally does mean disbelief, here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may drown you because of your ingratitude to him. This is a reference to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said up there, وَكَانَ insanu kafura. So in that Allah ta'ala is not saying all of humanity are disbelievers. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all of humanity is inherently ever ungrateful. So if you show that ingratitude, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could take you back to that sea and even drown you into sea. So if you were taking metaphorically, means Allah ta'ala could return you to that same problem. The same problem you were in and you were taken out, if you are ungrateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after being taken out, you turn away from Him, Allah ta'ala can put you right back in the same problem. Right back in the same problem.
Okay. In such a case that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was to drown us, send that heavy tempest of wind against us, or to drown us because of our ingratitude, then we would not be able to find anyone who could give us any help or succor against that punishment sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah Ta'ala mentions that indeed we have honored and graced the children of Adam salam. Right? We have bestowed honor and dignity on the descendants of Sayyidina Adam and we have carried them over land and over oceans. Right? We have enabled them to traverse and travel the land and the ocean. We have allowed them to travel all over the world. And we provided them sustenance from the pure and noblest and best of things in this world. And we favored them. We have especially favored humanity over the vast majority of creation. Means we have especially favored humanity with blessings over the vast majority of creation. So what are some of those blessings? Well, there a lot. There are too many to recount in this Dora, but very briefly we have been given speech the like of which no other creation has been given. Speech which has an, an potentially an eloquence, a brilliance, an expression of ideas, an expression of feelings and emotions, even feeling those emotions which no other creation is able to feel. Right? We have been given a physical beauty that is unlike that of any other creation. For example, if you look at a herd of cows, how different do they look? Yes, you may find a slightly more attractive cow and a slightly less attractive cow, but the human being has been given so many different features and shapes. Right? Or you can say in terms of the way we live, right? Your dog, what is it? Roti kapra makan, right? So we eat the best of food of any creation. Yes? All types of cooked gourmet delicacies with multiple ingredients and tastes and flavors and changing menus all the time. We dress and have the best clothing of any creation. Right? We're talking about creation in this world. And, what was it? Makan. And we live in dwellings better than any other creation compared to the nest of the birds or any other animal which makes a home, compare that to the type of homes many humans live in or humans can potentially live in. So Allah tells favored us with those blessings. But most importantly, spiritually, the real tafdeel, the real fuzzle of insan is spiritually that the anbiya are all insan. And the anbiya are the greatest of Allah's creation. So the greatest fuzzle and karam that Allah Ta'ala has given Bani Adam is that the greatest of all of his creation, greater than the arsh, greater than the kursi, greater than the malaika, greater than the angels, are the anbiya and mursaleen, and each and every one of them is from Bani Adam. Each and every nabi is an insan. So this is the greatest grace of humanity spiritually, that they have been favored to be that set of creation that has exclusive, exclusively has the anbiya from them. And then along with the Anbiya are the Siddiqeen, Shuhada, Salihin, Oliya. These are words in Quran. Allah Ta'ala has made these people from humanity. And there are no such, there are no Siddiqeen outside of Insan. Not like that. Right?
However, at the end, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Allah kathir, Allah ta'ala didn't say, Allah kul, Allah, uh, that, uh, that He has favored humanity over the vast majority of creation. Allah ta'ala didn't say all of creation. So why is that? Even given what I just said, right? Our explanation up to now was suggesting that humanity is favored over all of creation. The reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stepped one level short of saying all, didn't say kul, said kathir, was that number one, as a totality, insan is not greater than the totality of malaika. Because there are no kuffar in the malaika. But they are kuffar in insan. Right? So as a collective, as a totality, that wouldn't be true. Secondly, as individuals. Because within insan, again, they are individual kuffar. And those individuals are not greater than the malaika and the angels. And that's a separate discussion that can be long discussion amongst mu'mineen, which mu'mineen are greater than malaika? Certainly the anbiya are greater than malaika, there's no doubt about that. Most would feel that the siddiqeen are equal to or greater than the malaika, and after that, Allahu Alam. Right? But there's a good chance that the average malaika are greater than the average mu'min, given if we <laughs> view ourselves as bare average mu'mineen, very difficult for us to think that we are better than angels. So that means not just individuals outside Iman, but even individual human beings with Iman, many of the angels are better than them. But still Allah Ta'ala has given that Fadila to Insan, that the greatest members of creation and the greatest potential has been given to this creation called Insan. So this is something we should reflect on. And this is why ulama and Mashaik always teach us. Even just the fact that Allah Ta'ala made us insan is something to be grateful for. Then second is iman, right? But even just being human is an incredible gift and blessing from Allah Ta'ala. Out of so many other types of creation, Allah Ta'ala could have made us anything, right? And if you look at that, those religions which could not understand the potential of human being, they didn't value being created as a human, so they had a philosophy of reincarnation. That maybe we'll be born next life as a rock, and then the next life as a cow, and then the next life as a woman, and the next life as a leaf, and the next life as a tiger, and the next life again as a man. Because they didn't understand. <laughs> they didn't understand the karam and the fuzzle of insan. When you understand this, then the concept of reincarnation is ludicrous. It's nonsensical. It's absurd. Alright. Next passage, then Allah Subhanahu is going to talk about the Day of Judgment. That and remember that day, prepare for that day, recollect that day, always be mindful of that day, on which we, Allah Subhanahu we will summon and call every single human being, be imamahim with their imam. There are two ways that this word imam has been understood. To me. The first way, which is on the translation on your screen, is the record, your book of deeds. This is the view of Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abbas and Qadada Rimullah and also Alama Qurtubi, who was a great Mufassir Rimullah Ta'ala. And this would mean then that every single person will be called along with their book of deeds. Something we did yesterday, if you remember, that the book of deeds is hanging around their neck, right? So it would be similar to that that just took place briefly, a little bit earlier in the surah. فَمَنْ أُوْتِيَ كِتَابَهُ بِيَمِينِهِ And then now you have explicit mention of the book of deeds, that whomsoever is given their book in their right hand. However, the second meaning of imam is nabi. 
And this is the view of Mujahid Rimullahu Ta'ala. That this means that every single so by Imam means their spiritual leader means a Nabi. And some of you can imagine that this word and this verse is also given space to certain others to interpret it in their own way. <laughs> and that I think is also part of the wisdom of Allah SWT. That he actually, and we did this ayah for you last year, that Allah Ta'ala says this is a book that some people will be guided by it and some people will be misguided by it. So the way to place the potential for misguidance in this book is sometimes to put a word that a certain ideology or sect may interpret for their own particular theological purposes. So Imam either means Nabi, Prophet ﷺ, and that means for our case, means Sayyidina Rasulullah And at that sense, at that sense of Imam, when you have Sayyidina Rasulullah as an Imam, you don't need any other Imam. When we say the word Imam Bukhari, Imam Shaf, Imam Munifa, we don't mean Imam like that. We mean that there are Imams in their field. Not Imams of theology. Not Imams of people's Iman. People's Iman, the Imam of our Iman is Sayyidina Rasulullah Yes, the Imam of Tafsir may be Allah Qurtubi. The Imam of Hadith may be Imam Bukhari. The Imam of Fiqh may be Imam Munifa. But the Imam of Iman is Sayyidina Rasulullah Right? So that's another meaning. They will be gathered with their Nabi. This is mentioned, and we did this last year, Surah Nisa, in Surah Nisa, Surah 4, verse number 41, that we will be called and summoned, and our Hisab will be taken in the presence of our Nabi, Ghanim sallallahu alayhi wa And then some people will be given their record of deeds in their right hand. And they will be happily reciting. That's what it means. The sense here, the word happy isn't there. They will be with pleasure and with happiness reciting their... And I did this for you yesterday. Either reading or maybe even reciting their kitab. Because it got in the right hand means they were successful. And they will not be wronged even in the slightest. Fatil literally in Arabic refers to this small string. You know when you open up a date and there's a seed and there's sometimes a small stringy thing that comes out, that is called fatil in Arabic. But again it's used as an idiom, as an expression to indicate the slightest of things. So it means they will not be wronged, no injustice will be done to them, even in the slightest way whatsoever. Alright. وَمَنْ كَانَ فِي هَذِهِ أَعْمَانَ Here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not give the opposite as He normally does in Qur'an and those who will get in their left hand, right? Or those who will get behind their back. So, for example, in Surah Al-Haqqa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions people who get in their left hand. In Surah Al-Shikaq, Allah ta'ala mentions people who get it behind their backs. By the way, some of us have said it's the same thing. The person who gets it in the right hand gets it in front and the person who gets it in the left hand gets it behind. Here Allah SWT is not going to mention that. But He's going to contrast it in a different way and the people who are obviously not going to get it in the right hand, what are they? وَمَنْ كَانَ فِي هَذِهِ أَعْمَى And as far as those people, the other ones who don't get the record of the book of deeds in the right hand, those are the people who in this life they were blind. They were blind. Now this does not mean physically blind. This means that they were spiritually blind in this world. Spiritually blind means maybe they were blind to the ayat, the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
in physical natural creation they were blind to the meanings and feelings of waqi in Quran or any book that they had revealed they were blind to the hidayah of deen they were blind to the fitrat insani they had inside them they were blind to the hidayah Allah Ta'ala sent on them they were blind to the anbiya that they saw Abu Jahl was also blind to nur and right? he didn't see the nur of Nabi Nabuwa. they were spiritually blind so people who were blind like that فَهُوَ فِي a'ma. Then in the afterlife they will be made physically blind. They will literally become blind. Alright. This ayah is one of the most famous and most important and single perhaps most powerful examples of what we call non-literalism in Quran. Because there was a group known as the Zahiris or Zawahir and they insisted that every single thing should be taken literally. As we say in their face value. And I won't take his name, but in this century, this well, let's say past century, 20th century, there was a contemporary scholar who, mashallah, was very mutaki, a lot of taqwa, a lot of sunnah. Our firm belief in yakin is that he will be from Ahl Jannah. But he had this zahiri view. And it so happened he was blind. <laughs> he was actually blind in this world in terms of a person who is physically blind. So then one scholar asked him that, okay, you say everything is literal in the Quran? He said, yes. So he recited this that whoever is blind in this world will be blind in the Akhirah. So if you take it literally, it would mean that people who are blind in this world will also be blind in Akhirah. And then he had to say, no, 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 that's not. Obviously he didn't want to be blind. He wanted to see Sayyidina Rasulullah in Jannah. He wants to see Allah SWT in Jannah. So he had to admit that no, sometimes Allah Ta'ala does speak non-literally. Right? But when it's literal, when it's not literal, when it's not literal, how non-literal is it? Yes, that is something that is a very fine and delicate skill in art, only to be practiced by skilled practitioners, the ulama al-rasikhun, the mufassirun of Qur'an. Alright? But this is a good simple example for you, that everything is not always literal. Okay? So, and Allah SWT in fact refers to this concept of being spiritually blind, in Surah I think I, I did this I know I probably did it a few months in the beyond Allah SWT says in Quran that it's not their eyes that are blind but it's their hearts their kudu their hearts that are blind so that's the notice of it being spiritually blind and the concept to be physically blind is coming just in a little bit in this Surah Summan Umyun Bukmun you've heard that before they will literally be physically handicapped in the Day of Judgment and for Akhirah, they will be physically made blind, physically made deaf, and physically made mute and deaf. That's coming in verse 97 shortly. Alright. فَهُوَ فِي الْآخِرَةِ آمَا وَأَذَلُّ سَبِيلًا وَأَذَلُّ سَبِيلًا وَأَذَلُّ سَبِيلًا is some tafzeel. They will be even more astray. Even more astray than they were in the world. What does that mean? Because in the world there was the chance of Tawbah. And now in Akhirah there is no chance of Tawbah. So they are even further astray. They are even more astray. Because now there is no chance. They are more deviant. That deviant for which there is no correction is more deviant than that deviant for which there remains an ihtimal or possibility of correction. And you can also suggest that their path or their way, their sabil, is now, because obviously this is their path and Akhra is going towards Jannah, which is much more astray and much more in, right, awry than any path they could have adopted 
in this world. So there are two ways you could understand that. Then in the next three ayahs, 73 to 75, is something that you may have remembered in different bayans we mentioned to you, particularly verse 75, as this is the verse viewed by the Mufassirun to be the most intense, some scholars of tafsir, to be the most intense verse of Qur'an. What is the incident here? Basically, the incident, just so you know, is that some of the unbelievers, but they were from the Quraysh of Makkah Mukarramah. Why is that important? Because they came to Sayyidina Rasulullah By the way, another interesting thing. This is the most intense passage, right, in Quran. Let me read it for you first. Let, let, me, let me read it for you in English first. O, o Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is addressing now, shifting again, now addressing the Prophet And when the disbelievers contrived to lure you away from what we revealed to you, when Kadu la so it's to put you in fitna right to lure you away to delude you to put you in fitna from that which we revealed to you so that you would attribute something to us other than what we revealed to you means you would forward fabricate invent something else and attribute that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is a direct Allah Ta'ala is addressing the Prophet That, oh, Prophet remember when some of the disbelievers came and tried to lure you away from that which had been revealed to you and tried to get you, right, the taftira, so that you might invent against us and forge and fabricate something ghayruhu other than the revelation, other than that was revealed to you. <coughs> وَإِذَا لَتَّخَذُوكَ خَلِيلًا And if were they had been able to do so, then they would have made you a khalil. They would have taken you, لَتَّخَذُوكَ They would have taken you as a khalil, as an intimate friend and companion, as a fellow conspirator in this fitna that they had, as a partner in crime, as a dear intimate bosom friend. All right. Then what does Allah subhanahu And if we had not made you stand firm and steadfast, If we had not made you stand first and steadfast, then you would almost have inclined towards them a little bit. It doesn't mean Sayyidina Rasulullah was inclining towards them, was going to do, but there would have been a slight. Now, what was that slight inclination? Well, now what I'll tell you is fascinating. Nowhere in Quran, this is a huge incident. And Allah Ta'ala has chosen to mention it also in Quran. Right? Let me read the last part for you to show you how huge an incident this is. Izan, if that were to have happened, when and in such a case, That we would have made you, we would have made you, Sayyidina Rasulullah taste a double punishment al-haya in this world and a double punishment al-mamat after death in the akhirah. Thumma, and then after giving you that double punishment in this world 
and double punishment in Akhirah, La Tadidulaka Alaik Alayna Nasira, you would have not found any source of help against us. You would have found no one who could help you from us. This is Allah Ta'ala talking to Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And Allah Ta'ala could have given this down privately because there are many things like I told you, Allah Ta'ala told the Prophet they're not in Quran. Allah Ta'ala gave this down publicly in Quran. Allah Akbar. Amazing thing. Right? So you to understand the way Udum Islam operate. What exactly happened? What is this incident where Allah Ta'ala is telling in Quran that if Allah Ta'ala hadn't kept the Prophet steadfast, the Prophet may have inclined in the slightest of way towards them. And if that had happened, the Prophet would have gotten double punishment in this world and double punishment in Akhirah. Nowhere in Quran does it tell you what that incident is. Nowhere in Sahih Hadith does it tell you what that incident is. Nowhere in Hassan Hadith does it tell you what that incident is. We have one narration by Ibn Abi Hatim, who none of you have even heard of. Yes? And all the Mufassirun rely on that narration. Because you need to understand what this is. So, what I'm trying to illustrate to you, and this is a study and this is a PhD for someone if they want to do it, the use of Zayf Hadith and Tafsir, when there are no Sahih and Hassan Hadith to explain it, that's also an indication that that Zayf Hadith is essential for our Hidayah. So it means that that weak narrator, his weakness must not have affected his transmission and that particular Rabaiyah. But we will still, according to the terminology of the Hadith scholars, label it as Zayf. Khair, so the incident was this, that the Kuffar of Quraysh went to the Prophet and they asked him a couple of things. One thing that I can clearly remember is that, you know, these poor people that you have around you all the time, just tell them to go away. Don't let them sit with you. If you keep them away, then we'll be willing to accept Iman and then we'll be happy to sit with you as Sahaba. So it means that the thing that's keeping us back is that if we accept Iman, we will become Sahaba. We become Sahaba, we will sit in your Sohba, right? But we will sit in your gathering, in your presence, in your company, but there are all these poor people around. It means it was their Takabur, it was their arrogance. How can we sit with the poor? Right? Like they say, Aap mother se mein prahayenge, to hum nahi aasakte. Aap zero do teen AC, ek do generator laga lein. Koi Gulberg defense jaisi jagya mein praha lein. Hum bhaed jayenge aapke saan? Hum bhaed jayenge aapke saan? Right? That's something like what they're saying. <laughs> That's what they're saying. So now, I mean, if you look at that, right, the, why would the Prophet incline to that? Because strictly speaking, that's not a haram thing to do. He didn't mean to excommunicate the poor sahaba, but tell the sahaba, to, okay, stay with these leaders, let them sit with me, you guys stay back a little bit. And the Prophet would have been inclined to do that at the slightest, only because that would bring more people into deen, every clan leader might bring their whole clan, their whole tribe, right? Look at a small thing the Prophet wanted to do. You could call this a slight compromise, a slight balance, a slight moderation. So the real purpose of this passage is Allah Ta'ala is showing people, don't compromise on deen. You c- there is no compromise, no moderating, no amending, no reforming, no revising, no manipulating, no adjusting deen. No way. Even if Sayyidina Rasulullah had done it for maslaha, that would have been for maslaha. The Prophet would have been doing it for the maslaha of deen. 
that if you want to do it for if Nabi Karim moderated the deen in the slightest way which is not even strictly haram for the sake of maslahat of deen Allah Ta'ala is saying even you Prophet give you double punishment in this world double punishment in akhirah and no one could have saved you against us Allah Akbar Kabeera Allah is Allah His authority is absolute His decree is final and absolute the deen and sharia are final and absolute. Even Nabi Kareem Sassam does not have the right, Allah Ta'ala is making clear in Quran, even for the betterment of deen. That's what people will say today, nay, aapki bhi iske khair mein. That's how they try to talk to us. Deen mein bhi iske faida hai. That's their last line. They say, nay, hum dunya ki khasa nahi khair, deen ka faida is mein. It will benefit deen. That's the argument they make. No, we cannot change deen one drop even if you present every argument in the world that would benefit thee. And that's what Allah Ta'ala is telling Nabi Karim Sallallahu And Allah Ta'ala is telling all of us in Quran, Deen is what Allah Ta'ala has decreed it to be. That's it. And if in that world that gives us benefit, well and good. If in that world it gives us some difficulty, well and good. We have to stick to it. We play by the rules. That's what Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is teaching us in this passage of Quran. And it's a lesson that we should learn a lesson that we should accept a lesson that we should adopt in our life so this was uh, verses 73 to 75 right. then Allah is going to mention another incident between but it's not related directly to this Another incident between Sayyidina Rasulullah and the Kufar of uh, the Kufar of the Quraysh, the Kufar of Makkah Mukarramah. So now we are in verse number 77 onwards. Okay. This is basically referring to an incident or what is the precursor to Hijrah is that the, if you remember your history the Sira, the Kufar of Quraysh were increasing their pressure on the Prophet what they had wanted was to forcefully violently expel and kick out the Prophet from Makkah Mukarramah what Allah Ta'ala wanted was that no Nabi Yaqalim should leave Makkah Mukarramah peacefully in sanctity in sanctuary and in grace so either way the end result was going to be the same so before they could fulfill their plan right then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fulfilled his plan. So this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. In Kadu. So basically they were soon and likely to establish their plan. Which was their plan? That they were going to harass and uproot and expel you from the land. Right? And in that case then, what would have happened? That only a few of them would have remained behind you. Then Allah SWT said that this was the practice of our messengers, such has been our way with the messengers to be sent before you, and you will find no change in our way. Okay. So here again, uh, Sayyidina Mujahid and Sayyidina Qatada, both of the Tabi in the report that the Mushrikeen wanted to forcefully leave Sayyidina Rasulullah. If they had done so, right, then Allah Ta'ala would have sent a punishment and azab upon them. This is what it means, and none of them would have remained except a few. Except a few may have been some few stray believers who may not have been expelled, right? Because there may have been some senior citizen mu'mineen that when the kuffar expel all the believers, but a few believers may have stayed back. 
if they had violently, forcefully expelled the Prophet and Sahaba, Allah Ta'ala would have sent an azab on that whole community. So in this sense, it was also a rahmah, right? One of the reasons the ulama have written about this is because Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala did not want to send an ijtimai azab on the people who denied the Prophet could have said Rasulullah One sense because it would be against him being Rahmatullah Alameen It would also Just think of all the people who accepted Islam after Fatih Makkah Right? And many of them became great Many great Sahaba Ikram If this had happened They had forcefully kicked the Prophet out And they would have all been destroyed So these people would have never had the opportunity and ability to accept Iman So that's another reason Right? Then Allah tells us, such has been our way with the messengers we sent before you. What does that mean? That in the past, previous nations were destroyed when they refused to listen to their Nabi, when they kicked their Nabi out. And we did so many stories of them last year. Previous nations were destroyed like that. Then Allah subhanahu wa says in the end, uh, It means that you will not find any departure from our sunnah. You will find that we will not leave our sunnah in any way. So initially a person might think, well, what does it mean? Allah Ta'ala left his sunnah here. No, Allah Ta'ala didn't leave the sunnah. The sunnah of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala here means that if they forcefully expel the Prophet, a punishment will come. And that would have happened here. What Allah Ta'ala means here is that I would never have left it. If they had violently kicked you out, I would have sent a punishment on them. So the only way to make sure I don't send a punishment on them is to make sure you were able to leave peacefully beforehand. Otherwise, I would have acted according to my sunnah. Nothing would have changed me from that and I would have sent a punishment on them. That's what Allah SWT is saying. Now, a general meaning of this also, right? And this is one of those very rare nuggets where Allah SWT talks about Himself. In Quran. And here he's mentioning that he has a sunnah. Right? He has an adat. That's what sunnah he means. An adat. Allah subhanahu wa has a way, a kanun, a zabita, A manner and way in which he deals with people. And so this is a thing that we should realize. That look, there's not going to be exceptions. Allah, and this combined with what we just mentioned before. The deen is what the deen is. Allah is not going to change the way he, way he operates. Whether it is 21st century, whether you think you're modern, you're postmodern, you think you're some darura, there's some maslaha, no. The deen stays the way it is, and Allah Ta'ala stays the way it is, and you will not find any deviation and departure allowed, deviation allowed in deen, and Allah Ta'ala will not depart from who and what He has said He is in Quran. Right? So this is an important general uh, teaching. Next then, set of ayah, two ayahs, Allah SWT is going to talk about the establishment of Salah. Akimis salati ladiluki shamsi ila ghasakin layli wa Qur'an al-Fajr inna Qur'an al-Fajr kana mashhuda. This is something I was mentioning to you last night. Wa min al-layli fatahajjad bihi nafilatan lak asa'an yab'athaka rabbuka maqaman mahmooda. So two things here, this Salah and maqam mahmood. Alright, so first thing Allah Ta'ala is saying that establish the Salah, Aqim salah establish the Salah. In the Duluk means in the decline or setting of uh, the sun until the 
غَسَقِ اللَّيْلِ Until the darkness of the night So you can see this is basically mentioning Maghrib Salah Right? وَقُرْآنُ الْفَجْرِ Now here it means the Salah of Fajr But again I was mentioning to you the other day That generally speaking also Because Allah Ta'ala could have used the word Salah here Allah Ta'ala used the word Qur'an So in this ayah When you read these words In the context of this ayah It means Salat al-Fajr And when you read the words generally It means that Fajr is a good time for you to read Qur'an And that's why also it was the Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah To recite more Qur'an in Fajr The longest recitation Sunnah Is to recite in Fajr Why? Because of what Allah Ta'ala said In the Qur'an al-Fajr That obviously all the recitation And all the Salawi prayer Are witnessed by Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala But there's a special Merit to the Qur'an that is recited in Salah at the time of Fajr. Special merit to the Qur'an that is recited in Salah at the time of Fajr. So this is another way for us to understand. So those who have difficulty waking up for Fajr, this is a verse for you to make note of and start reciting this. Recite this to yourself. This is one tip or technique to wake up for Fajr. At night, recite this. Inna Qur'an al-Fajr kana mashuda. Inna Qur'an al-Fajr kana mashuda. Maybe you fall asleep to that. <laughs> make it your mentality. It's because we don't have that mentality, that feeling that we don't let these verses move us into action. To make the Qur'an move and motivate and spur you into amal, you have to put its loves and ma'na into your qalb. And sometimes that can be done by wirid, by repetitive, repetitive recitation of some ayah. Alright? Okay. And the next thing uh, that's coming up here is Maqam Mahmud. Alright? Uh, first here, Ghasak means darkness, and this is something that has also established that the end of Maghrib Salah is until the night becomes dark, right? And later, when it comes in Quran, we'll show you Allah SWT has actually talked about Dhuhr and Asr and Isha, and in different places of the Quran, all five Salawat uh, have been mentioned. Alright? Uh, this is coming in a little bit. So, وَمِنَ اللَّيْلِ فَتَحَجَّرْ بِهِ نَافِلَةً So, مِنَ Layl means after the darkness of the night has occurred and that is going to be an indication uh, for Isha. Here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also mentioning literally the meaning of tahajjud. The, the word tahajjud, the literal meaning of tahajjud is to leave one's sleep for some time. To leave one's sleep for a little while. That's the literal meaning of tahajjud. Now, it's not necessary that you sleep and wake up for tahajjud, but that was the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah that that prayer in which that he had slept for the night and then woke up, left his sleep to again pray, that became known as tahajjud salah. Because and Allah Ta'ala mentions this as well. Right? Nafilatandak, it means that this is extra. Right? It's an extra act. means this is not fard. Right? This is not fard. Some ulama... The majority of ulama, however, say that tahajjud was fard for Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam, but was sunnah for this ummah. Do some ulama say though, however, because of this word, nafilatandak, that even for Nabi Karim wasallam, tahajjud was not strictly speaking fard in the same sense that fard and al-fajr and zohar and asr and maghrib and isha 
etc. is from. But either enoughlatan means extra, over and above. That's why in English sometimes they have this fancy word supererogatory, which probably he that it's extra and above and beyond your normal obligations. Then Allah SWT mentions the Maqame Mahmuda. Alright, there's much that we could talk about the virtues and benefits of the Hajjud, uh, but we have to do a little bit of ikhtisar over here. Here, why is Allah SWT telling the Prophet Asa means it's near, it's probable, it's close, that Allah Ta'ala will give you Maqame Mahmud. So this is a tasalli uh, to Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. After just mentioning this plot of the unbelievers that they want to forcefully, violently expel you, right? And after mentioning that they were even the real tasalli is because after saying that they wanted to lure you away and make you forge against Allah Ta'ala, if you had, you would have gotten double punishment. So, jab daunt milti, tuski baat tasalli hoti, right? So this is the most intense ayah, that this is the most hard way Allah Ta'ala talked to the Prophet on double punishment in this world and akhirah. So this is the most fuzzle way Allah Ta'ala talked to the Prophet shortly, just a few lines down, Maqamam Mahmuda. This is also one of the ada and sunnah of Allah Ta'ala, right? And so what is this Maqamam Mahmud, alright? What is the Maqamam Mahmud? This is the greatest position that will be granted for all of creation. All of creation. And this is something that we've mentioned to you before. This is a hadith in the Sahih of Bukhari, narrated by Sayyidina Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that on the day of judgment, all of humanity will be in a state of tumult, in a state of chaos, in a state of worry. And each segment of humanity will go to their particular Nabi and ask their Nabi that plead with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to just start the process of Hisab. And then all of the Anbiya will then go to say, they will all refuse. They won't be able to do it. They won't have the himma to do it. And then they will unbiya all of the prophets of all of humanity will go to Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, and then he will then intercede and plead to Allah Subhanahu wa on behalf of all of those unbiya and through them on behalf of all of humanity. And this moment of pleading to Allah Subhanahu wa that is called Maqam Mahmud. And this is exactly taken from this hadith in uh, the Sahih of Imam Mullahu Ta'ala. Alright? And, you know, other riwayat in the other hadith in Bukhari, other hadith in Muslim, that mention one by one, right, that it's going to be a progression, and then eventually it goes to Sayyidina Nuh Sayyidina Adam Islam, then Sayyidina Nuh Islam, then Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam, then Sayyidina Musa Islam, then Sayyidina Isa then Sayyidina Rasulullah Islam. This hadith in Bukhari and Muslim is also one of the hadith that are used to establish who are the Ulul Azm Anbiya. And those of you who are students of the Sof and Saluk will know that in the Tirtib of Ardhikr Azkar, these are the Masharib, or these are the Ulul Almzam Anbiya, Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam, Sayyidina Nuh alayhi salam, Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam, Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam, and Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi These are the same names, and only these names of these Anbiya are the ones mentioned in these Hadith in Bukhari and Muslim about who the people will turn to one by one, eventually coming to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi salam. And then what will happen when they reach the Prophet What is Maqam Mahmud? He will go and do sajda under or by or however you can say it spatially the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will inspire him to do Nabi Akrim to do a hamd 
to praise Allah Ta'ala in such a way that no one has ever praised Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala like that. Even the Prophet in life on earth had never thought of praising Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala in such a way. And then Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala will say, that raise your head, sal tu'ta, and you ask, and whatever you ask, your request will be granted and your, uh, your prayers will be fulfilled. And then Allah Ta'ala will say, intercede and your intercession will be fulfilled. And again, this is narrated both in the Sahih of Bukhari and the Sahih of Muslim. And this is the Maqam of Mahmud. And all of you know that after Adhan, we have been asked, the Prophet has taught us that we have to make dua. Even though it's mentioned in Quran, this also shows you that, you know, just because something is guaranteed, even something is mentioned, you still have to play your role in fulfilling that destiny. Right? Even if something is destined for you, you still have to play your role in fulfilling that destiny. So even though Maqam and Mahmud is clearly destined for Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, this is Allah Ta'ala's mercy that He has allowed each and every one of us, every one of this Ummah, to play a role in Nabi Karim Sallallahu realizing that destiny, and that is the dua that we're supposed to make after Adhan. And if you're living in a place or a country where you can't hear Adhan, you can still make that dua. If you're living in England and you don't hear the Adhan, you can still make that dua before you make the ikama and make your own salah. You should still make that dua. So that you can also be a person who makes dua five times a day for Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa And that is the sunnah. The same Allah subhanahu who wants us to pray to him five times a day, same Allah subhanahu wants us to make dua for maqam in Mahmood for Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa five times a day. Alright. Uh, okay. Then Allah SWT teaches Nabi Karim Sassam two du'as in Quran, teaches the Prophet and teaches the whole Ummah these two du'as in Quran. That, O my Rabb, allow me to enter and enter me into a place of Sidq which is a place of righteousness, of truth, of rightfulness. Alright? And, وَأَخْرِجْنِي مُخْرَجَ سِدْكِنْ And then take me out from an exit that is an exit of righteousness and truth and piety and haq. وَجْعَلْنِي مِنْ لَدُنْكَ سُلْطَانٌ نَصِيرًا and then grant me a sultan from your dunka from yourself, a sultan and authority, nasira that is coupled with assistance. So this is Nabi Karim Sassam being taught by Allah Subhanahu First and foremost, the Prophet Sassam is being taught to ask Allah Ta'ala for this sultan, for this power, for this authority, right? And for this nasira, for this assistance. And then proclaim that indeed the haq has arrived and the arriving of that haq is making the batil vanquished. Vanished and vanquished. Batil is vanished and vanquished. Right? Indeed it is the nature of batil that it should ever be vanquished. Again, kana comes for ever, always. It is the nature of batil that it should ever be vanquished and vanished. Means it is the nature of haq that it should always and ever dominate and be established. This is something in ayah because you know many of the imams, at least in Pakistan, love to recite this ayah in salah, this passage. So you would, should be well, 
familiar with this. Again, some of the ulama also suggest this ayah as a weird when a person is in a state of difficulty, when a person is facing, when you feel in this day and age, because we're living in the Zulu Zaman, there's a constant battle between good and evil, right? And this is an ayah that we're supposed to we make that dua to Allah SWT, to ask Allah Taala to give us that sultan, that power, that authority, that help, and that indeed that make let Allah Taala make that haq, may Allah Taala let that haq come, and may He use that haq that has arrived in form of Deen of Islam, may the haqqaniyat of Deen of Islam always be sufficient and always be a means of vanishing and vanquishing the battle. The problem is that we don't put ourselves on that haq. Until we are established on the haq of deen, haq of deen is just its haq, just its rightfulness, just its truth, just its reality of deen is sufficient to vanish and to make vanish and vanquish batal. But we don't put ourselves on the haq of that deen. That is why you will see when ulama tell you, you come on deen, everything will be solved. This is what they're talking about. This is Allah Ta'ala all you have to do is come on the haq of deen and then all of batil itself will be vanquished. That's the will and wish and decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what Allah ta'ala says, وَنُنَزِّلُ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ مَا هُوَ الشِّفَاءٌ وَرَحْمَةٌ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ And we have revealed from this Qur'an what is a shifa, what is a heal and a cure. And a rahmah is a mercy for the believers. Everything in Qur'an, when it is implemented, when it is believed in, it is lived, it is felt, it is loved, it is adored, it is spread, it is enacted, it is instituted. When that happens, it is a complete shifa and rahmah for the mu'mineen. The entire individual mu'min, the family mu'mineen, the societal mu'mineen, the ummah mu'mineen. وَلَا يَزِيدُ الظَّالِمِينَ إِلَّا خَسَارًا And the Qur'an affects when the Qur'an is implemented, the only effect that it will have on the Zalameen, the people who are unjust and oppressors and tyrants and wrongdoers, is khasara that they will just end up in loss. They mean, ultimate loss means they will end up with nothing. They will be nothing. The Qur'anic society spares no quarter for the Zalim. The Qur'anic society will have no space in it for them. That's what Allah SWT is saying. That is the power of the Shifa and Rahmah of Qur'an. However, وَإِذَا أَنْأَمْنَا عَلَى الْإِنسَانِ when, However, when we bestow our in'amat, our favors and blessings upon insan, right? أَعْلَذَ Again, he turns away, turns away from Allah subhanahu wa And when an adversity afflicts him, right, what happens? Kana يَعُوسَ He becomes despaired and despondent and depressed. So when they get a fatha, they turn away from Allah SWT. And when they're afflicted with a the muscle, when they're a shadru, when they're afflicted with evil, evil touches them, adversity befalls them, difficulty afflicts them, they become depressed and they become despair. So, Qul say and proclaim, Qul ya'mal ala shaqilati. Qul ya'malu ala shaqilatihi. That each and every being is going to practice and conduct their affairs according to their own manner, their own way, their own disposition. فَرَبَّكُمْ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنْ هُوَ أَحْدَى سَبِيلًا And your Rabb knows best who is that person who is أَحْدَى سَبِيلًا who is the most hidayah on the path who is the most rightly guided who has the most uh, who has followed the most hidayah. Alright. 
Now here, what Allah SWT is also mentioning in relation to the hijrah is that even though outwardly it appears, right, that the Prophet when, when you're leaving Makkah Makkah from Medina Manawra, this is a, what you call foreshadowing, right? That doesn't mean that Batil has triumphed and Islam is leaving with its head down, right, from Makkah Makkah No. This is just a stage. Eventually, ultimately, Haq will always triumph and that's what happened. And when did this happen? This is also a sign when Nabiya Karim Sassam. What happened in Medina Manawra? In Medina Manawra, one thing happened which could not happen in Makkah Makkah And that was the establishment of that Quranic society. That was when the Quran, Sunnah, Deen was allowed to man- be manifested and instituted on earth. So that complete Shifa and Rahmah took place. And then when that complete Haq had been established, then that Haq was... what. What, what was able to then vanquish the battle that was in Makkah Mukarramah and then you had Fatih Makkah. Right? So it shows that there's a process. It's a process that's the rupt between uh, between these uh, these few verses and what came before. And then what Allah subhanahu mentioned at the end that every being acts according to their own way. So there are many, many, many ma'ani of this verse. Right? Here it means that this is the way of Allah subhanahu in other words, this process of going to Hijr and coming back, Fatih Makkah, that's how Allah Ta'ala has chosen Haq will be manifested in Makkah Mukarramah. Otherwise, outwardly bazaar is shikasti, outwardly is defeat. That you are the Prophet of Makkah Mukarramah, Kaaba is your center of worship, and you are leaving. <laughs> you are defeated. You couldn't do it. You cannot establish your deen here. So now Allah Ta'ala is saying, no, this is the way. Allah Ta'ala has his way of operating. And this is a better way of operating. Because in Medina we will have izhar of every aspect of deen and then once that izhar takes place then that complete haq will triumph over Medina um, over Makkah Mukarramah. And generally speaking, right, it means that for this, you know, we had mentioned this too in, in, in a talk once before that some of the Mufassirin and ulama found that this ayah also indicates the great mercy of Allah SWT because what Allah Ta'ala is saying is every being operates to their nature, their manner, their disposition. So who is Allah Allah subhanahu is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. First and foremost, He is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. So that means, because this ayah is true for Allah subhanahu also, so He will also operate and interrelate with people according to His manner and disposition. And He is first and foremost the all-merciful, ever-merciful Rabb. And so His mercy is dominant. And means the ultimate, ultimate relationship that insan has with Allah subhanahu is that Mercy with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the last thing that Allah ta'ala knows best, who is the most, man ahda sabila, who is the most rightly guided, uh, that is, you know, connected to this, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that who is on haq and who is on batil, who is that haq which will be ghalib, and who is that batil which will be vanished and vanquished, Allah ta'ala knows that. That is something that Allah subhanahu wa knows. And because He is the one who is going to make it happen, then His knowledge is sufficient for that. Next, uh, from is Ayah 85, which is a detail. وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الرُّوحِ قُلِ الرُّوحِ مِنْ أَمْرِ رَبِّي وَمَا أُوْتِيْتُمْ مِنَ الْإِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا That they are going to ask you, so shifting now, next topic, that they will ask you, the unbelievers are going to ask you, Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu specifically this is the Ahl-Kitab and specifically from the Yehud, they're going to ask you concerning the Ruh 
about the ruh. Now, sometimes in English they translate ruh as soul, sometimes as spirit, right? Neither of these is really, you know, we just rather prefer you to think about it as ruh, right? I would neither, but some people, you know, maybe spirit might be better than soul, because sometimes people use the word English word soul for nafs. So what Allah Ta'ala, what does Allah Ta'ala instruct the Prophet say that, Kul say to them, my beloved Messenger, some Arum and Amr Rabbi, that the Ru is from the Amr of my Rabb. Amr here means two things. Number one, Amr means it is from the command of my Rabb. And number two, Amr means it's the affair of my Rabb. Because they're linked together, right? It is something to do, it falls under the commands of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. It has been created from the command of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. The knowledge of it is one of the affairs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is what all of those meanings are here. This is something we have explained to you before that Allah ta'ala created the ruh kun fayakun through his command. As opposed to our body which is created through conception, gestation, stages of fetal and then later infant development. The ruh was created through instantaneous, direct, without sabab, without wasita creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of the amr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But you have been granted only a little knowledge of it. You have not been given knowledge about it, except a little. Now, what is that Khalil? That is a whole subject, right? That people may have different understandings of. But the important thing here to note is that Allah Ta'ala in Quran here has done two nafi. He has negated that we have, we know everything about the ruh. He has negated that possibility. Allah Ta'ala is also negating that we know nothing about the ruh. So there is something that we know about the Ruh. Now, Khalil is a relative term, right? If it's in regard to what Allah Ta'ala knows about the Ruh, then even we would know a lot about the Ruh, but compared to what Allah Ta'ala knows about it, it is a little bit. If, however, you take it relative to what we know about other things, through Deen, through Wahi, through Quran, then we compared to other things that Allah Ta'ala has told us in Deen, we know, only know a little bit about the Ruh. Right? Alright, so this incident here, Sayyidina Abdullah bin Masood bin reports that once he was walking with Sayyidina Rasulullah and a group of Jews passed by and they keep telling one another to ask the Apostles about the Ruh and then they sat down and they started to discuss and decide whether they should ask, which one of them should ask, what should they do, the Apostle gives them a reply that they can't handle. So finally they asked, all of this took place in earshot of the Apostles. The Prophet sees them sitting and discussing by the roadside whether they should go up and ask the Prophet. So finally they asked. When they first asked the Prophet, the Prophet didn't reply. He remained silent. Right? When he remained silent, this is in Imam Bukhari's narrative of the city. When he remained silent, then Sayyidina Masood that this revelation came to the Prophet. Right? And then he answered to them with the verse. So he didn't answer first on his own. Allah Ta'ala sent this verse to Nabi Karim Sallallahu and then he recited this verse. You can say it like that. He recited this verse to them. Right? Okay. So, yes, Adunaka means that it's the Jews who prompted that question. But if you look at different ayat of Quran and different hadith, there are quite a few things you do know about the Ruh. For example, this notion of Alam Arwah. For example, that the Ruh is infused into the fetus at 120 days, that the Ruh was created before, that all the Ruhs were gathered and Allah Ta'ala addressed them with a question, all of them said, So there are little, little things that we know about the Ruh. 
parts of the ruh are mentioned in Quran, qalb, sirr, these are words that are in Quran, right? So that the ruh has a heart, which is our spiritual heart, which is known as our qalb. So there is information about the ruh that is in Quran al-Kareem, right? Uh, but what can you understand here? Maybe we can call it the haqiqat of the ruh. What is the ultimate reality, the complete reality of the ruh? That is not entirely known to a person, right? And why is that? The reason is that is that your ruh is that part of insan which receives the signals from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your body does not receive hidayah. Your arm is not receiving the hidayah. Even your mind, the sponge in your brain is not what receives hidayah. It's your qalb. May yu'min billahi yahdi qalbahu. Allah tells us in Quran that that person has iman and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends hidayah on his qalb. So all of the spiritual things that Allah ta'ala sends whether it's his hidayah, whether it's his rahmah, whether it's tawfiq to do some amal, whether it's tawfiq to feel some taqwa, all of the ways in which Allah Ta'ala relates with us, is with our ruh, these are called the itabarat, fuyuzat, anwarat, the jiliyat of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, all of these come onto the ruh of a person. So it's for that reason that we don't know everything about it, because we don't know everything about Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. And nor do we know everything about how he relates to a person and how he inspires a person with fear or he inspires a person with his jalal or he inspires a person with jamal because he is jameel. Hmm? We don't know that. and We don't know that in its entirety. That's what it means. So the ruh is the wondrous part of us, the wonderful, wondrous part of us because it's that part of us that is engaged with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you feel something in salah, it's not a jismani feeling. It's the feeling that your ruh gets. Kutul kulub, nourishment of the heart, sustenance of the souls, all of that comes to the ruh. Alright. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right, immediately after giving this information, immediately sending down a verse. Well, let me just tra- read this and translate a few eyes and let me comment this. Well, then, that Allah tells us, if we were to wish. Love, but this is like now the second strong. This surah is a very intense surah for Nabi Kareem sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Another very strong passage that if we wished, we could take away every single thing that we revealed to you, Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And after we did that, thumma, and then after that, la tajilakabihi alayna wakila, and then you would never be able to find any wakil, any guardian, helper, succor against us. Allahu <laughs> This is Allah Ta'ala talking to Sayyidina Rasulullah who he loves, who he sends wahi on his heart, who he has made and sent his rahmat al-alameen, who he has bestowed the final and last message, Qur'an al-Kareem. Allah Ta'ala is talking like that. Illa rahmatam min rabbik. But, so why did this not happen? This has not happened but due to, but for the mercy of your Rabb. Inna fadlahu kana alayka kabira. And indeed, the fuzzle of your Rabb, the bounty and grace and blessing of your Rabb upon you, Prophet is Kabir, is tremendously immense. Allah Akbar. Allah, Allah, Nabi, Nabi. That's the real tarjama of this. <laughs> Allah Ta'ala is showing in Quran. Azim al-Sha'an. Right? Kulla in ijtama'til insu wal jinnu ala ayin ya'tu bi mithli al-Quran. So let's say, for example, okay, Allah Ta'ala took it up, all of humanity and jinn gets together. If all of humanity and jinn were to get together, combine, conspire, collude, gather, right? 
To do what? To bring, literally means to bring, it means to produce, to bring the likeness of this Qur'an. La yatuna bimithlihi. They would never be able to bring the likeness to the Qur'an. Even if they were all working with one another, assisting with one another. Even if they were all working and assisting one another, they would not be able to do it. It means if all six billion human beings got together, and however many billion jinn or, or however many jinn they are got together, they wouldn't be able to do that. وَلَقَدْ سَرَفْنَا لِلنَّاسِ فِي هَذُ الْقُرْآنِ مِنْ كُلِّ مَثَلْ فَأَبَا أَكْثُرُ النَّاسِ إِلَّا كُفُرًا And the Antal says, indeed, we have لِلنَّاسِ for humanity, for all people in this Qur'an, we have explained every type of subject matter, every mm, issue in this Qur'an in multiple مَثَلْ كُلِّ مَثَلْ in multiple ways, using multiple examples. However, most people have chosen not to accept it. Most people have refused to accept Qur'an al-Karim. This is another thing. Al-Tal is saying, this is not going to change. This is an eternal rule. The vast majority of people on earth will always not believe in Qur'an. It was true in the time of Sayyidina Rasulullah It has been true for every day since then. Muslims, even nominally speaking, Muslims today are what, 1.2 billion or 6 billion people. So the majority is non-Muslim, right? The majority is non-Muslim. All right. So here, <coughs> the rub here between this and the earlier thing is what was that Kabir fuzzle? So you see, now remember when it's going back and forth. First you had that double punishment, double right? Then you had Maqam and Mahmud. And then all of a sudden you have this again. Ajeeb khitab of Allah Ta'ala with Nabi Kareem so someone is witnessing in this, these passages of this surah. So this maqam mahmud is the incredible fuzzle that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has in, one of the incredible fuzzles that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? And this is something that Allah has mentioned in other places in, in the ayat of Quran the incredible fuzzle that he has put on the beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? This aspect where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that everything is explained in Quran what does this mean? It means the Quran al-Karim contains advice or laws, or commands, or stories, or similitudes, or metaphors, lessons, du'as of previous prophets. In multiple ways, Allah subhanahu has brought a human being to hidayah. This notion that... Uh, here, that's sufficient, I think, for you to understand. Next, Allah subhanahu mentions a... Going back to the Quraysh, and now this is now going to be a passage from verses 90 to 93, something that the Quraysh say. So they say, Mukalu, so the Quraysh say, Lan nu'minu laka hatta tafjurulana minal arde yimbu'a. Alright. They say that we will never believe in you. Lan nu'minu lak, that all prophets are there addressing the Prophet, that we will never ever believe in you. Until one, until you cause a spring to gush forth for us from the earth. Means we want miracles on demand. Your nobility, your beauty, your truth, the miraculous recitation of Quran, the meanings of Quran, the fact that Allah is Ar-Rahman, that means nothing to us. But if you can bring water to gush forth from the earth, then we'll believe in you. Allah Akbar. 
That's the same thing you find today in the atheist. They have they run around with the three objections to Quran. That's it. They can't see anything else. You say, okay, put those three things away. Look at this that Allah tells is merciful. Look at this, look at this, look at this. No. If you who is this person? It's this going back? This son goes back to the Kufan? That's what they said. Look, it's a strange way of talking. We will not believe in you. It's exactly in Urdu Tarjama. This is exactly the same words and the same manner. That's why I'm saying it to you in Urdu. The same words and the same manner of speech that the Kufar use in Quran. Hmm? Until hmm? So it's not the right attitude to stick Quran. Allah Ta'ala should have had you on Bismillah Rahman Rahim. That's it. That's enough that Allah is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim but that's my manna agmaga. Baki sab kuch mein manna. Because wo Allah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim hai. Kis cheez ko mujhe kahal karna hai. Is baak ke baad jo mujhe pata chal gaya ke Allah Ta'ala Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim hai. What is it that you have to convince me of? But that's not the way they were. Right? So the young men and women should also realize that. Don't be so shaken up by that one little atheist professor who goes and believe me gets a BA and MA philosophy from a two-bit university in the US and UK where they couldn't even probably engage with their professor but they come and speak to you and you don't know any better and that's how they mock you and they tease you they look can you explain this to me can you answer this to me hmm? what do you say about this hmm? and I'm, you come to me oh you know he I don't know how to answer him I don't know. Then you get shaken up. You get shaken up and your own iman gets shaken up. Because somebody asked you a question. <laughs> on this side, you have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and everything is said in Quran. And on this side, you have this one person asking you one question. So you should be more firm, more resolute in your iman. Here, so this is what they said that we won't believe in you to bring us forth the spring for us. Or you bring a special uh, orchard of dates and grapes and within that orchard of dates and grapes, you cause many rivers to flow. Allah Akbar. Or, you cause the sky to fall down upon us. <laughs> Shabash. <laughs> you cause the sky to fall down upon us in pieces and fragments. As you claim. I mean claim that because Nabi Akram was saying in the Quran, Allah Ta'ala says that you know, at the end of the day, it's all going to be wrapped up and broken up. So make it happen now. Or, Allah Akbar. You bring... Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala angels before us face to face Ya Allah <laughs> bring Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala angels to us face to face or you have a house made of gold or you ascend to the sky we will not believe in your ascension until you send to us a book that we can read so all of this this last part is now touching on the miraj part right now the last part is kul so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet what should you say in response Subhana Rabbi Subhana Rabbi that my Rabb is way above and beyond these petty demands and things that you have asked for great and glorious is my Rabb over any and all of this that you are asking 
Halkuntu illa basharun rasula. And what am I? Am I anything other than a human and a messenger? I've not made claim that I can produce houses of gold, that I can ascend now out of my own will. But to Allah Ta'ala, Asrabi Abdi, I cannot claim I myself can go to the sky. I'm not claiming that I can make rivers flow, that I can from thin air make orchards and dates and grapes. That's not what I'm here. So this is absurd, basically. Their demands of this, these kufar of grace is literally absurd. Alright. So this is a history of the grace that when Nabi Yaqarim was preaching towards them, inviting them towards Deen, they would make absurd requests, then they would make absurd allegations that he was a soothsayer, a magician, etc., etc. That's why Allah SWT in many places in Quran tells the Prophet that's the only thing, there's nothing on you except illal balagh, you just have to deliver. You just have to make the message reach them. You're not responsible for answering their questions. Now, if that's true about Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, it's true about every one of us today. And it's true about you. You are not responsible and liable to answer every single question and criticism of every single atheist, agnostic, cynic, and skeptic. You're just responsible to put Quran and message in front of them. After that, the Hidayah lies in Allah's Fatah's hands. Alright? Okay. Here, so when Nabi Yaqarim told them this, that, okay, this is basically what Nabi Yaqarim meant, that it's not my job to do the things you're saying. My job is to proclaim that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pure and free from all such defect. I, my job is a messenger. Here, by the way, this is what we're talking about, the Bala. When the Prophet is saying it's just a Rasul, by just means that my job is to recite that Quran that you've heard me to recite. You can ask me to share with you the wahi that has been revealed to me, not to answer these questions. Because I'm a Rasul. My job is to share with you the wahi Allah sent to me. Okay. Alright, continuing now, next group is 90, next group is 9, verses 94 to 96. <laughs> Okay, the only thing that prevented human beings from accepting a yu'minu, from having iman, right? From having iman, is ja'ahumul huda, when the hidayah came to them, illa an kalu ab'athallahu basharan rasulah, right? Is that the only factor that prevented people from believing when, when guidance came to them was that they said, has Allah Ta'ala sent a human as a messenger? It's exactly the opposite. The Prophet was being told to tell them, I'm but a human, but a Rasul. And this was precisely their objection. That the messenger should have been some angel, or some god, or some demigod. That the messenger is just a human. This is not something we can accept. This was the, again the arrogance of the unbelievers. And the same arrogance you find today, the people say in Urdu, Wobi insani, Hambi insani. They don't understand that their darajat, their levels in insan. So yes, Nabi Yaqarim was an insan, but he was a rasul insan, a nabi insan, avdal, the anbiya avdal of insan. And that requires a person to accept that they are humans who can be better than me. But these kuffar of Quraysh were so mutakabir, they couldn't accept that anything human could be better than them. There could be, if it's human, then we are the greatest. Yes, if there's some superhuman power, right, then maybe we would be ready to believe in something like that. 
So this, that's another thing that's prevented. What, again, I keep relating things for you in terms of modernity. What does it mean? So for the person today, human, for them means akal. Akal. Speech. Kitab. Right? So you bring to them Quran, for them it's words. So what do words mean to them? They view themselves as they're the master of words. They're the scientist. They're the master philosopher. They're the erudite, eloquent person. They can't acknowledge the eloquence and veracity of Quran because they're too focused. They are too looking at their own eloquence, their own intelligence, their own words, their own knowledge. Another word you can think then is ilm. Ilm of deen means nothing to them because it's ilm and as far as ilm is concerned, they only care about their own ilm. Their own pedigree, their own degree, their own education, their own knowledge. So this sometimes ilm and akal and insaniya and focusing on that to a extent that you deny wahi and nabuwa, you become oblivious to that, that is what prevents people from uh, accepting iman. So that is why they say that fil malaika that if there had been angels who were walking, mutma'ina who were walking in tranquility and peace and serenity on earth, right? That if angels were part of the earthly creation, if angels were the citizens of earth, then we would have sent an angel. We surely would have sent an angel to them. But it's humans who are citizens of earth, so you're going to get a human who is a messenger. That's what it means. So, cool. so say to them in response to this, Nabi Yaqul, say to them verbally or say to them in your heart also, cool sometimes means. Respond to them in your heart. Learn in your heart the true response to what they're saying. Saying to them may have a benefit, may not have a benefit, but say it to yourself, Kafa billahi shahida, baini wa bainakum, that Allah Ta'ala is sufficient as a witness between me and you. Allah Ta'ala knows what's going on. Okay, innahu kana bi ibadihi khabiram basira, and Allah spawned us all aware and all seeing over each and every one of his servants and slaves and creatures. Next set of verses is verses 97 to 99. That that person, who is going to be? Who is going to be the one who is guided? That one whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides. And that person who Allah ta'ala has let them go astray, you will never be able to find any awliya any protectors, any friends, any benefactors for such a person, midunihi, other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, any after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa nashurum yawmil qiyamati ala wujuhim, then we will gather them, and raise them, and resurrect them together, on the day of judgment. How? And so this has come, which I told you, the physical part going to mention. What? Umyawm wa bukmawm wa sum'a. Summa, that we will raise them, that they will be what? Blind and dumb and deaf. So it means literally, physically. And that itself is a torment, right? Imagine all of a sudden, right, to be blind, dumb and deaf. You cannot see, nor can you hear, nor can you express yourself. Ma'wahun jahannam. And their permanent rest and abode and dwelling place will be jahannam, the fire of hell. Kullama khabat zidnahum sa'ira. Every time the ebb and flow means the heat of Jahannam lessens a bit, abates a bit, Allah says, I will increase it back up. I will increase it back up. Allahu Akbar. Every time the fire abates, Allah says, I will increase its intensity. Allahu Akbar. Kameera. Allahumma.
This is their recompense, their punishment. This is the consequence of what because they denied and disbelieved in our verses and in our signs. And because they said, that is it that we're going to be resurrected as a new creation when we were just bones? Hmm? Are we going to be made anew when we were just bones and fragments and pieces? Do they not see and reflect that it's the same Allah who created the heavens, the firmaments and the earth is capable, he's qadrun, he's completely capable and has the power that he can create the likeness of them again. He can create yet another world, another earth or expanse of the Akhirah, another sky, another firmament over the Akhirah. And that Allah has made and appointed a term for these people. And La Bafi, there is no doubt about that appointed term coming to an end. Our individual life, the life of everything will come to an end. And indeed the oppressors and the, the zalimun, the unjust and wrongful and oppressors have been nothing other than kufur. Kufur means denying, defiant, rejecting, disbelieving in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was describing the plight of the disbelievers on the day of judgment. Alright. In verse 100. Say to them that if you people were in the control and if you were to fall under the treasures of the mercy of my Lord. This is a beautiful way. In the treasures of the mercy of my Rabb. Right? Then you would hold back for fear of spending. Man was ever miserly. What does this mean? So this is what sometimes people say in... Uh, how do you say it in Urdu? If you have control control in your hand, then we don't have to do it. As if you were allowed to decide on the Day of Judgment, and you were given Allah Ta'ala's infinite treasure stores, it's not just treasures, treasure troves, treasure troves and stores of mercy, you wouldn't use it. You wouldn't be merciful. Even if you possess the mercy of Allah, Subhanahu wa ta'ala, you wouldn't send the mercy. That's how wretched man is. That's how wretched man is. And it's in this, we translate niggardly, being stingy, being miserly, even with mercy and compassion. So obviously, Allah ta'ala's Ar-Rahman, as we've explained to you in the very first day last year, that Ar-Rahman means, right, all merciful. And Ar-Rahim means the being who sends all mercy. So even if Bilfard, Allah Ta'ala is saying that if you were to be made Ar-Rahman in the sense that you have access to all of the mercy, even then you could not become Ar-Rahim. You wouldn't be able to dispense it. You wouldn't be able to give out that mercy. You wouldn't want to shower that mercy because you were that stingy. Allahu Akbar. And this is, you know, something that we see. We should try, we should try in our life never to be true to this verse means whenever we have the opportunity to be merciful, compassionate to someone, we shouldn't be lazy about it. We shouldn't be stingy about it. We should seize that moment, seize that opportunity, try to show whatever kindness and mercy that we can. Alright, verses 101 to 104, we're going to go back very briefly to the story of Sayyidina Musa 
which I we'd done a lot of it last year, but here a little bit one or, one one or two slight things that I was going to mention which are slightly new from Surah Bakkah. And when we indeed we bestowed upon Sayyidina Musa some nine clear signs and manifestations. Right? So then asked the Bani Israel when he came to them, Fakalaluhu Fir'aun and then Fir'aun said to them that Ya Ya Inni la'adhunnuka ya Musa mashura Then indeed, O Musa Laisam, I really think la'adhunnuka, it's my I definitely think that you are mashura, you were bewitched, you were entranced Right? You were bewitched and you were entranced You were fine, you were under the spell of magic So Sayyidina Musa Laisam responded that لَكَدْ أَلِمْتَ مَا أَنزَلَهَ أُولَاءِ إِلَّا رَمْبُ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ That you know very well that these ayat that have been brought with, they could only have been sent, they could have been sent by none other than رَبُّ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ than the Lord of the heavens, the firmaments and the earth. Right? You know that. These basair, these eye-opening miracles and signs that have been sent. وَإِنِّي لَأَظُنَّكَ يَا فِرْعَوْنُ مَثْبُورًا And me... I think about you, Fir'aun, that you are going to be destroyed. <laughs> Allahu Akbar. <laughs> this is the conversation. And the same words, the same sentence structure that is being used. Okay, now what happened? After this conversation takes place, Fir'aun had an intention. And Fir'aun's intention was to annihilate that's what it means to destroy the Bani Israel from the face of the earth. But Agraknahu. But Allah Ta'ala says, but instead we drowned him, Bamahu Jamia, and every single one who was with him in entirety. Bakullah and thereafter Minbadahu and thereafter the Bani Israel we told the Bani Israel, Uskunul Arda, that you should now live and settle in the land. And for Ida Jitna Bikum Lafifa and then when the promise of the Akhirah comes, right, when the appointed time from the end of time, the day of judgment, when the Akhirah begins, then we shall bring you Lafif means all enveloped together, we will bring you forth again all together. Alright. So Allah SWT gave Sayyidina Musa uh, these to, he sent Zayn to preach to the Bani Israel to invite for on. These are things we did in Surah Baqarah and Surah Araf. And some of these things are coming in great detail in Surah Taha, which is probably tomorrow or the day after. Right? This land, this Ard, in which the Bani Israel were to live in, that was the land of Sham or Philistine. This is the sacred area surrounding Beit Muqaddas, right? So in that sense, the Quran does acknowledge that the Jews were the original inhabitants of that land. That was a very controversial topic amongst Muslims. We don't, most Muslims don't like to acknowledge this, right? That the Jews were the original inhabitants of that land. But that has nothing to do, does not in any way establish the basis of modern statehood. Right? Because if you want to reverse the states to who were way back the original inhabitants, 
So the first thing, all the whites in America are going to have to leave. And most of them have to go back to England. Some of them came a bit later. Italian Americans have to go back to Italy. Some of them came from Poland. Anyway, every single one of them will have to leave. And you have to give it back to the Native Americans. And who even knows the vast settlement and migration of human beings across lands. And the second answer is that we have no hesitation in saying Islam is ghalib. So it doesn't really make a difference to us, actually, if the Jews were there before. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given the right of custodianship to Baytul Muqaddas to this deen. It is our third haram. We are now the true inheritors of Baytul Muqaddas because actually we are the truest followers of Sayyidina Musa and Sayyidina Isla. So those areas, those special areas of Bethlehem and Hebron, Khalil and Baytul Muqaddas and all those areas, they belong by right to whichever ummah and deen is the truest deen on earth. So before Nabiya came Sassam, they belong by right to the Christians. Before Isa they belong by right to the Jews. After Sayyidina Rasulullah they belong by right to the Muslims. And Alhamdulillah, if you look in Islamic history, you look in the history of the world, every single time the Muslims had control over Baytul Muqaddas and those areas, the Jews and Christians were given absolute freedom, not just of worship, freedom of worship, freedom of expression, freedom of movement, freedom to populate, freedom to settle and live in those areas, no problem. And that, and only the Haqqadeen can give such a right. And you can see their history, that when they've had it, they've not given the Muslims freedom to migrate there, visit there, populate there, settle there. They haven't given that freedom. So history is also shown. Which deen can manage this holy area in the most beneficial way, the most pluralistic way, that is the Muslims. And the way the Muslims had the rule over uh, Palestine and Jerusalem. Alright? I just wanted to mention that because some people, right, who have no imani ghirat left in them whatsoever, they bring this point up <laughs> that Allah Ta'ala said that the Jews can live there. And they try to justify the what even leftists in America view as the Zionistic, apartheid, illegal occupation by the state of Israel of the land of Palestine. They tried to justify using this ayah. That's not what's being meant in any way whatsoever. Alright? And the last thing that was... Okay, the nine signs. Let's just review the nine signs because we've... Uh, I'll just read them out, although we've discussed them in different places. A couple will come in Surah The staff, the asa, that when you toss it, it turns into a serpent and then you pick it up it turns back the hands that will glow with light when you take them out from your chest the splitting of the sea for the Bani Israel to pass through a drought that came and afflicted the people of Fir'aun the depletion of the crops and harvest at the people of Fir'aun the punishment of the locusts and ticks and frogs each of them is viewed as a separate one that afflicted people of Fir'aun and the punishment of plague and blood disease that afflicted the people of Fir'aun Fir'aun these were the nine signs Right? Uh, Alright. Verses number 105 to 109. Now Allah goes back to a general, general thing about Quran. And Allah is saying indeed that we reveal the Quran al Kareem with truth, and indeed with truth did it come. 
وَنَذِيرًا And we did not send you to be a Kareem Sallallahu except as a bearer of glad tidings and to the believers and as a warner to those who have yet to believe. And the Qur'an al-Kareem, we have divided it so that you may recite it and uh, read and recite it to humanity. That you may recite it to them steadily, steadfastly, and it revealed it gradually. So these different pieces of Qur'an, divisions of Qur'an. So the first aspect of it is that the Qur'an was divided into ayat or passages. Means the moments of revelation, occasions of revelation. Then another division for later reciters is the division of surahs, the division of adza. Alright? Another way you can say that the Qur'an has been divided, Allah Ta'ala has, like we when we go through sections and sections, so they're topical divisions. Few ayahs on some topic, then another few ayahs on another topic, then another few ayahs on another topic. So there are different ways that Allah Ta'ala has made it so that we can keep reciting it means lexically with tajweed, with tirtil, right? And also in terms of meaning and understanding and also in terms of feeling. That we can feel sets of feelings and then another set of feeling and then another set of feeling and then another set of feeling. And that's the real division of Quran that we should be trying to tap into. Then in verse 107, Kul, and so say, my beloved Messenger, وسلم, that you have to aminu bihi, o la tu'minu, that you believe in Quran or don't believe in Quran. This is the call that the Prophet is making to people. Either you have Iman in this Quran al-Kareem or you don't have Iman in this Quran al-Kareem. Inna utul ilma min kablihi id yutla alayhim that if uh, those who have been given ilm before this, those who are granted knowledge before this, if when the Qur'an al-Kareem is recited to them, they will fall into sajda. They will fall into sajda. Fall on their faces into sajda. Now, what is the ilm that is being referred to here? Right? That believe it or don't believe it, but those who were given some ilm. So first it means that the true people who were, have the ilm of, who were the Ahl Kitab. So for example, Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi, Sayyidina Abu Dhar al-Ghafari, Sahaba Ikram, who had heard things from the Torah and Injil, or had others had come from those communities, when they used to hear the recitation of Qur'an, they would have fallen, suddenly recognizing and knowing it to be truth. Alright. And and what will they say? وَيَكُولُونَ سُبْحَانَ رَبِّنَا إِنْ كَانَ وَعْلُ رَبِّنَا لَمَّفْعُولًا That great and glorious and pure from all imperfection is our Rabb and without doubt the promise of our Rabb has surely come to pass. In other words, the expectation that we had that the last prophet, the last messenger, the last book will come and what happens? They will fall weeping and they will be crying when they realize the truth and haq of Qur'an al-Kareem. Right? And then that وَيُزِيدُهُمْ خُشُوعًا Then that revelation, that haq, then the iman they take in Qur'an and the tears they shed, all of that will increase them in their khushu'ah or will increase them in their humility and obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Then verses 110 until 111 which is the end. قُلُدْعُ اللَّهَ أَوِذْ الرَّحْمَانِ 
So call, make dua and call and supplicate and entreat Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His name, Isma'azim Allah, or in His name, Isma'azim Ar-Rahman. Whatever name you call Him, Ayyaman Tad'u Falahul Asma'ul Husna. By whichever name you call and supplicate Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala belong the infinitely beautiful names. And do not overly loudly recite in your salah. Nor should you be overly silent or soft in voice in salah. Right? But rather you should find a path in between these two things. Alright. So first of all what happened is that once Sayyidina Rasulullah was making dua, the, the subhan was when he called out, Ya Allah, Ya Rahman. And so the mushrikeen said that, oh look, he believes in two gods. They tried to twist the message of Islam. He was making dua, Ya Allah, Ya Rahman, right? And the mushrikeen said, he believes in two gods. So Allah Ta'ala sent this verse and no. And they, but the point was that he worships multiple gods and he's trying to tell us not to worship multiple gods. So Allah was saying, this is one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but you can call upon him by many names. By many names. I may mention very briefly this very trivial issue, but some people have given it great importance. And that is, can you call on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala using the word khuda or using the word God? Right? So definitely it's preferred, it's preferable. It's better to call on Allah Ta'ala using the word Allah. But to suggest that it is outright impermissible and unacceptable to say the word Khuda or God, that's incorrect. Right? And if a person is at an emotional state that they're so entrenched in the English language that the word God invokes more emotions for them, so they can start with that, but they need now to entrench themselves emotionally in the language of Qur'an, they, learn, they need to learn how to connect their heart to the feelings of the language of Qur'an, and there's no doubt that it is better to try to equip your heart to feel the power of the word Allah, because the ism, the barakah of this word, there's no barakah in the word God, put it that way. When Allah Ta'ala said in Qur'an, Tabarakasmurambik, that full of barakah is the name of your Rabb, that's in the word Allah. There's no barakah when you say the word God, there's no barakah when you say the word Khuda. Right? There may be feeling, there may be emotion. And that's generally the teachings of Deen, that Deen wants you to map your feelings and emotions to that place where there's barakah. But this has become, you know, the liberal fundo litmus test, that do they say Khudafiz or do they say Allahfiz? And this has become the subject of mockery and jokes and cynicisms. Allah Akbar. Right? Ajeeb. Allah Ta'ala hifazat Actually, that's what it means. Right? That Allah Ta'ala keep us. He is the Hafiz. He is the one who is the keeper of hifazat. Alright. So that's just something I wanted to mention along with this issue of name. And... Uh, Okay, next thing is right. Do, do not recite loudly in your salah and do not be overly quiet in your salah, but seek away between the two. So, this you find in different ways. So, Imam Bukhari narrates a hadith that Sayyidina said that Sayyidina Rasulullah used to, in the early days in Makkah Mukarramah, when he used to secretly have to lead the Sahaba in prayer, so the Prophet would sometimes recite loudly. But when the mushrikeen heard, they started cursing the Qur'an. They started cursing the Qur'an, they started cursing the Prophet they started cursing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So then Allah told the Prophet, okay, don't recite so loudly that the literal original occasion of revelation of this verse is that don't recite so loudly that you can be overheard outside the house because then that will be making them start their cursing. And not that the cursing hurts you in any way or hurts me in any way, but it hurts them. Because every time they curse, their heart is going to be hardened, they will be less able to receive the hidayah. And Allah wanted their hearts to be as open as possible to His mercy. At the same time, don't doesn't mean you have to recite entirely softly. Now, however, this general another incident that has been mentioned in hadith, and this is the famous in Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq and Sayyidina Umar and they were both praying tahajjud at night, and Sayyidina Sum passed by them in while they were praying, and Sayyidina Bakr Siddiq was reciting almost inaudibly, and Sayyidina Umar was reciting with as he was full josh, and so then in the morning. So Sayyidina Rasulullah told both of them that first he asked them that Ya Abu Bakr, why are you reciting quietly? And Sayyidina Abu Bakr said that the one who was reciting to can hear me. Allahu Akbar. That's another nukta nazar. The one who I was reciting to can hear me. Right? But then he told them that okay, I mean, that's correct, but you should raise your voice a little bit. Don't recite so softly. Then he asked Sayyidina Umar that you were reciting loudly. So Sayyidina Umar said that I was reciting loudly so that I could wake up the people who were asleep and that my Qur'an could chase Shaitan away. And okay, that Sayyidina Umar, whose shadow could chase, that whose shadow Shaitan flee from his shadow, imagine how much Shaitan would flee from his Zordar Talawat of Qur'an, Allahu Akbar. Hmm? And he enjoyed it. Yes. His chief said, <laughs> He's enjoying it, reciting Qur'an out loud that I am beginning, I am dispelling the Shaitan. But Sayyidina Rasulullah told him you should recite a little bit lower. Right? So what does this mean? So some ulama said that then when you pray your tahajjud salah, your infiradi nafil salah, it could be tahajjud, it could be any other salah. Right? When you're praying your own salah, then you can if you want. The whole range is there. There's a range. Right? Some may recite a little bit. Because it didn't mean, didn't mean Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Umar didn't meet in the middle. There's not one single meet. Sayyidina Umar is writing very loud, Sayyidina Umar is very soft, Sayyidina Umar of Bakr is a bit louder, Sayyidina Umar is a bit softer. So there's still a range. There's a range from very soft, what, okay, a little soft, to a little loud. That is the range you have from when you can recite individually. And the last ayah of this surah is verse number 111. That and saying that all hamd is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hamd itself is proper and befits Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Allah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has never ever taken and will never take and can never take walada, never taken a child or a son. And there is no partner in his divinity, in his sovereignty, in his dominion, in his power. وَلَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ وَلِيٌّ مِنَّ ذُلِّ And nor does he مِنَّ ذُلِّ Due to any weakness or need or deficiency Can he ever, does he need a wali, an assistant, a benefactor, right? وَكَمْبِرْهُ And you should declare the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Abundantly, excessively You should uh, widely and greatly proclaim His greatness so here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends the surah and the next surah that we are going to do or the next surah, surah Kahf after the break is then we will be doing surah Maryam inshallah. <coughs> surah Maryam, surah number 19 of Quran.
اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم كاف ها يا عين صاد these are the proof in muqattaat we're seeing them after some time now but this is something we discussed earlier when we did alif lam mim in surah baqara these letters have no meaning that anybody can definitively say with a level of yakin one view that we would just put forth to you is that they have been put here in quran to humble insan that insan even insan and mu'min will not have ilm of each and every single thing that is allah ta'ala's kalam part of allah's kalam may remain may the meaning of it may remain only known to him dhikru rahmati rabbika abduhu zakariya so here in quran al-karim this is a mention a narration of the mercy of your rabb upon the abd of your rabb his servant and slave zakariya sayyidna zakariya alayhi salam idna da rabbahu nidaan khafiya when he made a secret private dua to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala <coughs> this is one of the beautiful things allah ta'ala has done for us in quran is he shared with us the way other anbiya used to pray to him make dua to him the way other anbiya used to have adab with him and this is also for our tarbiyah and for us to learn from so this is one way to make dua to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala khafiya to make your own individual secret inner silent heartfelt dua to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and as you're going to see shortly this is the first step in that dua being maqbool and one reason why sometimes you have to make that inner duas is that because it will be heartfelt sometimes we just roll duas off our tongue it's not coming from our khafi it's not coming from our batan it's not coming from our heart it's not coming from our inner self so it means literally he called secretly silently unbeknownst to anyone else did not share this dua with anyone else it also means that he called from the inner depths he made dua from the inner depth of his heart heartfelt dua to allah subhanahu who's making dua again sayyidna nabi zakariya alayhi salam qala rabbi inni wahanal azma that oh my rabb that my bones have become weakened and frail minni bastaghla ra'su shay'an wa lam akum bid'aika rabbi shafiya shaqiya that oh my rabb that my bones have become frail my hair has turned white because of my old age but lam akun bidu'aika rabbi shaqiya i have never ever been let down and disappointed in my duas to you so the second thing you learn in the adab of dua is sayyidna zakariya alayhisalam is presenting his weakness he's not coming to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ana nabiyun i'm a nabi I did your service, I did your ibadah, I brought people to you, I connected people to you, I invited people to you, right? And so listen for those of us in this line, wo apne deen ka kaam nahi pesh kar rahe, right? He's a nabi after all. He must have done so much work of deen, work of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. No. He presents his weakness. So he looks and thinks, what can I show? What is it that I can show my old age, the weakness of my bones, that my hair has gone white? and also obviously this has to do with the dua he's about to make because because of these things because of his old age and weak bones he is not actually able to produce children anymore but he's also presenting his weakness but then he says that 
even though I'm so old and I've lived, mashaAllah, such a long life that my bones have gotten weak and my hair has gotten white, never ever have I ever been let down or disappointed in my du'as means that you've always answered my du'as. You've always answered my du'as. Alright. Then he said, <coughs> That I'm worried and concerned, literally I fear, I'm fearful and worried and concerned for my descendants, my successors, my relatives. What I mean means those who are going to follow me. And my wife is barren, means she has reached an age in which she can no longer have children herself. You could call it post-menopausal, right? And then, what does he say? فَحَبْلِ مِنْ لَدُنْكَ So Allah SWT, gift me, bestow upon me, grant me a wali. مِنْ لَدُنْكَ From your own self. What type of one? يَرِثُنِي Who can succeed me, be my successor. وَيَرِثُ مِنْ آلِ يَعْقُوبِ And can be a successor to the Al, to the family, clan, descendants of Sayyidina Yaqub a.s. وَجْعَلُهُ رَبِّ رَضِيَّ and O oh my Rabb, make him beloved and pleasing to you. Make him beloved and pleasing to you. So then what was the other thing that he mentioned in his dua? So the next thing he has dua is his fikr was for deen. It wasn't his own personal progeny. You see, Ali Yaqub, that's the line of the Anbiya. That's the line of the Prophets. And although Nabi Kareem Sallallahu is the last and final Prophet, and not every Prophet has come from a line of Prophets necessarily, but the Ali Yaqub was a gene- genealogical, a hereditary line of Prophets. And the Sayyidina Zikriya felt that, well, if I don't have any children, this line of Prophets will end with me. And I don't want that to happen. And I want that from the successors, other people, communities who come after me, they should also have a Nabi. This line of Prophethood should not end over here. So his worry was also for that. And obviously, yes, he would have had the worry like any parent, mother, father wants to have a child or a son or two, have their lineage continued. And then he made the one, what he asked, what was it that he asked for? He asked for a son. And then the last other bin dua is that whatever you ask from Allah SWT, beg Allah Ta'ala that if He grants that to you, it's pleasing to Him. So in this case, it was a son. So Allah Ta'ala make him raliya, make him pleasing to you. Or whatever you ask, Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala make, make it pleasing to you and make it a means for me to also become pleasing to you. So these are the adab of dua that our mashayikh have taken out from this dua of Sayyidina Zakaria alayhi <coughs> salam. And so now verse 7, Allah Ta'ala says, Ya Zakaria, that O oh my Nabi Zakaria alayhi salam, inna nubashiruka, and indeed we have conveyed to you glad tidings that <coughs> you will have a young boy, a son, Ismuhu Yahya, and we also select his name. Yes, Allah also bestowed the name of Sayyidina Yahya Islam, and what type of name is that? Lam Naj Allahu Min Qablu Samiya, that no one else has ever had this name before. Unprecedented name. Unprecedented name. Right? So this is something that befits the Prophets. Some people today also, they try that, oh, well, let's pick a name for our child. Right? They say, We can tell you Abdullah, Abdurrahman. We're not good at picking you Anuki names. But no, this is the shan of the Anbiya. 
right? That they can get an Anoki name, an unusual name. So, here. So then, Zakaria this is the strange thing. Ab, your Nabi, obviously Nabi is at the level of Yaqeen in Allah SWT, right? And on top of that, you yourself just made this dua to Allah SWT. Then Allah Ta'ala sends you wahi, seemingly instantaneous, right? Because it's presented in Qur'an Akrim as a back and forth dialogue, that your dua is granted and you will get the son called and Sayyidina Zakaria alayhi salam said, Rabbi, anna yukunu li ghulam. Where, how am I going to get this ghulam? Where am I going to get this son from? Ya Allah. <laughs> right? What does it mean? Does it mean that Sayyidina Zakaria alayhi salam did not have He's not doubting Allah subhanahu wa There's no lapse in yaqeen. It's okay. You ask somebody, I want this. He says, okay, I give it to you. Okay, where do I pick it up? That's what it means. Where do I pick it up? How am I going to get it? How am I going? What's going to be the process that I'm going to get it? That I'm so excited, Allah ta'ala, you just told me right now, you accepted my dua, now I want it. When is it actually going to happen? Right? That's one way to understand it. But, the other way is that Sayyidina Zakaria Islam is so in hayra, in ta'ajjub, is so amazed that Allah SWT is doing it that his amazement at Allah Ta'ala's response makes sometimes when a person is amazed they lose their senses. So you can imagine he loses his Nabi sense because the Nabi sense knows obviously Allah Ta'ala can do anything. But he's so amazed that Allah Ta'ala has responded to him he loses his Nabi sense. And then, so then he again says the same thing. And again, my wife is infertile. She's incapable of bearing children. And then I reached the height and the pinnacle and the apex of old age. Right? So either he's saying it out of wanting to know the suburb, how is it going to be fulfilled, or he's saying it out of ta'ajib or elation or out of jor, however you want to call it. قَالْ أَلَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى كَذَلِكَ It will be. So it shall be. قَالُ رَبُّكَ هُوَ عَلَيَّ حَيِّنٌ And it will be, Allah Ta'ala, your Rabb says, that it will be easy for me. There's nothing. It's very easy for Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. Indeed, I have. Indeed, وَقَدْ خَلَقْتُكَ Indeed, I created you. مِنْ قَبْلُ Before. وَلَمْ تُكَ الشَّيْئَةٌ You were nothing. I created you from nothing. So I can create your son from nothing. I don't need uh, any sabab or any help or anything like that. So then, Nabi Zakaria Islam then focused on more. How is it going to get fulfilled? So Qal Sayyidina Zakaria said, Rabbi Ja'alli Ayah, that makes some sign for me so that I know when it's going to happen. Qal Allah SWT said to him, Ayatuka, Allah tukalliman nasa thalatha daliyalin sabiyya. That you should not, you will, the sign is, that when you're unable to talk to humanity for three nights, that means that now the dua will be fulfilled. Even though, so we, uh, uh, even though you're able, you know, you won't be rendered ill, you will be healthy, but you won't be able to talk to them for three nights. So then Nabi Zakaria Islam, he went unto his people, he left his mihrab, he minal mihrab. So this shows that the sunnah of mihrab was there even in earlier prophets and earlier communities. You can call it a type of masjid, a musalla. This was a place of worship. And Nabi Zikr, as you're going to see, Nabi Zikr Islam then saying that the Maryam Madilatana, they spent their time in doing this worship uh, of Allah Subhanahu So he came forth, he exited, فَخَرَجَ عَلَى قَوْمِهِ He came to his community from the mihrab. 
فَأَوْهَا إِلَيْهِمْ And he told them that أَنْسَبِّحُوا بُكْرَةً وَأَشِيَّةً That they should do the tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala They should glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Morning and evening Alright Now all of a sudden you shift here All of a sudden you fast forward into the future Ya Yahya Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing Sayyidina Yahya alayhi salam Khud al-kitab bi-kuwa You should hold fast onto the scripture with kuwa Now I'll discuss with you in a moment Did Sayyidina Zakaria alayhi salam have scripture Or was the kitab bestowed upon Sayyidina Yahya alayhi salam Wataynahu al-hukma sabiyya And we gave him hukam Hukam can mean nabuwa That he was bestowed upon nabuwa At this young childhood Sabiyya means childhood At the young childhood age In infancy Hukam can also mean hikmah Can mean understanding The command The wisdom All of this was bestowed upon Sayyidina Yahya alayhi salam When he was a child Wahannana min ladunna And he was hannan Means that we bestowed upon him hannana That we made him compassionate And soft and generous from Allah Ta'ala saying from my own generosity and compassion I gave him generosity was zakatan and purity purity wakana taqiyya and taqiyya again is related to taqwa that he was highly muttaqi he was abstinent and stayed away from all sin he was sincere he was the Muslim of his community then mabarrabi walidayhi and he was noble and kind to his parents, something we did yesterday. And he was not rebellious and insolent and he was not disobedient and sinful. And may Allah send salam on Sayyidina from the day that he was born. And on the day that he passes away And the day that he will be resurrected once again And brought back to life Okay Now Sayyidina Zakaria makes dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And this issue of name What I mentioned to you at the end with Sayyidina got a name that nobody else got Some of us say that by name Allah ta'ala means also attributes that he is going to bestow Yahya with sifat and then these sifat that I just mentioned these are the, the daraja of kamal the level of perfection in these sifat are such that nobody there Sayyidina before Sayyidina Yahya had these sifat beforehand alright this sign so in Surah Al-Imran Allah SWT had told Sayyidina Zakaria the same thing that they should worship Allah Ta'ala morning and evening. So a question arises in a person's mind that why would there be this sign that Sayyidina Zakaria would not be able to speak for three days, even though he's healthy. What happens here is that Sayyidina Zakaria what was the type of speaking he was doing, the hamd and tasbih of Allah SWT, dawat illallah, dawat towards deen, so his tongue was being used in a worship of Allah SWT. And there would be nothing that would divert him from that worship or that mission of prophethood. No one can say for sure why Allah SWT wanted him to be silent for three nights. But some of us have said that simply just being quiet in those nights would put him in a state of contemplation and gratitude and that would be his sabab or preparation for the birth of his child. Allah Allah, right? 
But here it's an easily identifiable sign, so it means that Sayyidina Zakir would have known clearly and easily when Sayyidina Yahya Islam is going to be married. Alright? These three days, when a day when a person is born, the day when a person dies, and the day when the person is raised again. These are considered three, three very important days. Now the day you're born, you don't remember that, and you wouldn't have had any feeling on that, but that is an important day, because that is the day where Allah subhanahu wa starts decreeing things for you in this world. So that is the iftitah, or the opening of your life. So this blessing was given by Allah subhanahu wa to Sayyidina Yahya salam that he began his life with salam. Obviously the day you pass away from this world or die is also a very important day because that is when your decre- all of your decreed life has expired and then now a new decree is going to begin for you and then that decree will be manifested on the day you are resurrected. So it means that for us we have two of these three days left. Right? And so we should want, and this can be our dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we want also that the day we die should be a day of salam for us. And we want the day of resurrection to be a day of salam for us. And so many of you may have heard our shaykh often makes this dua, ke qiyamat ke din zindagi ke Means let us have the most salam on that day, on that day which is the most important day. Alright, from verses 16 onward, now we begin the main story about which this surah has been named, which is Surah Maryam. So this is a very important story of Sayyidatana Maryam ta'ala, And it's the first time this is coming in detail in Qur'an al-Karim. First we had done earlier, some bits of it that we had done was in Surah Ala Imran, and that is that Yes, Surah Allah Imran, where إِذْ قَالَتْ إِمْرَأَةُ إِمْرَانَ رَبِّ إِنِّي نَذَرْتُ لَكَ مَا فِي بَطْنِ مُحَرَّرًا فَتَكَمْبَلْ مِنِّي So this is the mention that Sayyidatna Maryam that the wife of Imran, who is going to be the mother of Sayyidatna Maryam Nasheed, made this dua to Allah Ta'ala, that Allah Ta'ala, I pledge to you what is in my womb, which means baby Maryam, and I dedicate her completely for you, for your service, for your ibadah, for the deen. So accept this from me. Indeed, Allah subhanahu you are all hearing and all knowing. So this is that same Sayyidatana Maryam who was born from such a noble and pious woman who was the wife of Imran. Now about her Allah says, وَذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ Maryam That you should remember and recollect and have mentioned in Qur'an al-Kareem of Sayyidatana Maryam When? So number one, when she recluded herself, min ahlaha, she secluded herself from her family, maqanun sharqiyyah, to go to a place far in the east. What did she do? فَاتَّقَدَتْ مِنْ دُونِهِمْ hijaba. She secluded herself from her community, from the people. And we sent to her an angel who came from us. And he took the likeness of a very well-fashioned, handsome man in front of her. So this is the 
famous story that all of you know and you've all been raised on this passage of Quran. So call us what did say that the Namarabadana say when she saw this man? Inni Rahmani Minka In Kunta that I seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Ar Rahman, the all merciful one Minka from you in Kunta if you are also fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is a lesson for us that whenever you are invited to sin you have to have your own taqwa, but you also have to invoke taqwa in the other person. You have to seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You remember this last year in Surah Yusuf alayhi salam, the Surah of Yusuf about saying Yusuf alayhi salam, right? Where he said, Ma'adullah, he also sought refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here she's also trying to inspire him to taqwa. The angel, but she thought it was a him, she thought it was a man. So from, especially between and amongst mu'mineen, you must seek refuge from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, remind yourself of taqwa, and remind the other person of taqwa. And you have to vocalize that, you have to articulate that, you have to express that. So in this case, it was not a person, it was actually an angel called, so then the angel responded, إِنَّمَا أَنَا رَسُولُ رَبِّكَ That no, in fact, I am but a messenger sent from your Rabb, so that I can bestow upon you, right, this pure and noble son. So she responded, So this is the rapt, just like Sayyidina Zakaria was wondering earlier in his story, right? And from where am I going to get this ghulam? And Allah Ta'ala said to him, I can make anything happen, anything come from nothing. So one reason Allah Ta'ala is putting the story of Sayyidina al in that context is an answer to the Christians, right? Who think that Isa Islam is the son of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That just because he doesn't have a father means that then Allah Ta'ala must be his father. So generally Allah Ta'ala is mentioning, as you all know, Sayyidina Adam also has no father and mother, right? Sayyidina Hawa, radiallahu ta'ala, has no mother, right? And in some sense, no father. Here, Sayyidina Zakaria Islam gave a miraculous birth in his own way to Sayyidina Yahya Islam. And here you have another miraculous birth about to take place. So she asked the same question, right? Anna yukunuli ghulam, that how in the world could I ever have a infant boy, a son, a baby boy, when no human has ever touched me? Allahu Akbar Kabira. This is the Haya and Taqwa Sayyidina Maryam Ta'ala. As you can say openly, no man has ever touched me. Walam Aku Bagiya and nor am I Bagiya, am I treacherous, lecherous, am I deviant in any way. Means that nothing has ever happened inside Nikah, nothing has ever happened outside Nikah. It's absolutely impossible. Right? Now Sayyidina Maryam now understand, again, she knows she's talking to an angel now. In the beginning she thought she was talking to a man. When he says, I'm the Rasul of your Rabb, so she knows she's talking to an angel. Her knowledge of deen has taught her that angels can only speak truth. Her knowledge of deen will definitely tell her that the angel of Allah, if he's telling you that you're going to have a son, you will have a son. So it's not, again, her lack of iman, but it's her horror at what that may even remotely suggest. Her being able to have a son without heaven. So it was the height of her haya 
It's not some lack of yakin that, oh, how can I have a son? You're an angel, Allah Ta'ala saying, I have a son. It's the horror at what that would even remotely insinuate. That's how much hayashiya. Allah Akbar. Amazing. Woman. So then again, Kala Kadalik, same thing that Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala said to Sayyidina Zakaria, Kadalik, so it shall be. Kala Rabbuki, O Maryam, your Rabb says, your Rabb has said, Your Rabb has said, that no, this is a simple matter for me. This is easy for me. This is easy for me. And why is this son being given to you in this way? So that we can make him, this baby son, Yani Sayyidina Isa will be born to you, a sign for humanity and a mercy from us. And this is a decided, settled, decreed matter. This is going to happen. It's done. There's nothing you can say about it. Fahamadathu. So then, so be it. She ended up bearing him. Means she ended up pregnant with baby Sayyidina Isa And then she withdrew in the state of pregnancy with the baby in her womb to a faraway place. Because she was still worried, right? About, she knows she's free of any impropriety. But what's going to happen when she gives birth to a boy? Because everybody will think that something improper has happened. So she goes away, a far away place, Makanan Qasiyah. She goes off to a distant place. This Qasiyah is the same Aqsa that we had done last time. Far away, distant place. Alright. Then what happens? Now she is alone. A woman who... Young woman... She's pregnant. She's scared about what her society is going to say about her. She's all alone. There's no hospital. There's no semi-private room. There's no private room. There's no doctor, gynecologist, anesthesiologist. There's no epidural. This is for the Uprawalikom Kibatan. Don't worry. If you don't understand, <laughs> the boys here looking at me blank looks. They understand. There's no hospital room. There's no anesthesiologist. There's no epidural. There's nothing. Allah Akbar. Now she is wandering around in this pain and then she ends up sitting underneath a big tree leaning against the trunk of a date palm tree. Alright? So she ends up at this date palm tree. Kalad. And then she starts speaking. Right? She's not speaking to anyone. But Allah Ta'ala heard her words and loved her words and made her words part of Quran al-Karim. Ya laytani mittu kablahada That oh I wish I had died before this came this moment would come to me. Now imagine whether it is the physical labor pain, whether it is the anxiety of what's going to happen once I give birth. But that woman, who was such a pious, worshipping woman in mihrab and sanctuary, the lover of Allah SWT, she has been, Allah Ta'ala has picked her up and in reality, He's going to bless her in a way that no woman has been blessed. But for her at this moment, she feels that she is facing a difficulty Maybe the like of no woman has been beset with. So she says that, I wish I had died before this happened. And I wish I was just a forgotten, forgotten thing. I just had been erased from the memory of myself and the world. Right? Now, Fanadaha min tahtiha. So now, her, uh, this angel calls to her from below. And says to her, Allah tahzani. That you should not be sad and grieve and despair in any way. Indeed, your Rabb has made a stream beneath you. 
and you should shake this trunk of the date palm tree that you have and when you shake the tree you will cause you will cause fresh dates to fall upon you so it means that the first pain that she was feeling was a physical pain right she had been alone hiding that pregnancy from everyone uncared for right may have been malnourished at this point so uh, he, uh, the angel says that you should eat and drink and cool your eyes mean you will get some soothe and soothe your soul then if you see anyone if you see anyone min al-bashar anyone ahada any one person from any human being فَقُولِي إِنِّي نَذَرْتُ لِلْرَحْمَانِ سَوْمَ that tell them that I have pledged and vowed to fast for Allah Rahman Right, and you can see here the word Rahman and earlier the word Rahman, so the suggestion at the time of Sayyidatana, Maryam Madhulatana, Allah Ta'ala was often known by the people at that time as simply a Rahman, so that I have pledged and vowed to Allah Ta'ala one fast. Falan yawma in and I cannot speak to anyone today. So if anybody comes and asks you that what's the matter, if any passerby happens to walk by and asks you look distraught, you look as if you're in a physical need. Don't take help. That's also the message. Don't take help from anyone. If somebody even comes and offers you help, don't tell them what your condition is. Don't ask them for help. Just say this one sentence to them, that I pledged a fast to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I cannot speak to anyone at all. That's it. Alright. Okay. Now the history of Sayyidatul Maram to fill in the gaps between her mother's dua for her and this incident. So when Sayyidatul Maram was born, so then... Because her mom had made that du'a that I will dedicate her entirely to you, so that's exactly what she did. She dedicated her to this house of worship known as Bayt al-Muqaddas. And Sayyidina Marimana was sent there to do her ibadah and to do khidmat. Then the note, what used to happen over there is that the different people who were the caretakers of Bayt al-Muqaddas, they would become guardians over individual children. Because so many people wanted to be the guardian of this young girl, so they had to draw lots. Now drawing lots is a way that if there's no disadvantage to a person, this can be used to make a selection. Right? And Allah Ta'ala decreed that the Prophet of the time, Nabi Zakaria his lot was drawn and he drew the lot, so he was the one who was selected to take charge of Sayyidatana Maryam Anha. Alright. Then, when this incident happened, and then she lived in that member, the Mehrab, that sanctuary, and spent her life in Ibadah, then you have earlier the story that we did earlier for you, in which Sayyidina Zakaria leaves, and then he comes back, and he finds that she has all this fruit, which is not from the season. Right? We did all of this for you last year. Fast forward again now to here. But she went to a place far to the east, right? Some reports say that she, it was she recluded also to bathe herself. And that was another reason why she was so terrified when this young man, angel in the appearance of a young man, came upon her. The Mufassirin have written that this angel was none other than Sayyidina Jibreel because Allah Ta'ala used the word Ruh. And this Ruh like you have in Surah Al-Qadr. So the word Ruh has sometimes been used in Quran to represent Sayyidina Jibreel now why does he have this term Ruhullah? He's not actually the Ruh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
but he brings wahi to the anbiya and those special ghair anbiya like Sayyidina Maryam which is not a nabi ghair nabi but those special missions and special messages to ghair anbiya he brings them as well so he's viewed as the spirit of revelation or the spirit of communication and that since he is called ruh he is not the ruh of Allah subhanahu in any way alright And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elsewhere in the Quran in Surah Tahrim, Surah 66, verse 12, describes in a little bit the sabab of how she, how she was made to conceive Sayyidina Isa Islam, and in that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he blew his ruh into her, right? This still does not mean that Isa Islam is divine or part divine or one of three gods or part of the Trinity. It just means that the Ru is the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that when he placed it on her, that is what enabled her to start the process of being conceived. Alright? And uh, you know the blowing of the Ru is actually done by Jibreel but by the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. When she left her home then, when she became apparently pregnant, she left her home, and then she spent several months alone in the forest, without even a bed to rest on, without any caretaker, without anything. And then when the last final moments of her actual delivery came, put it that way, then she, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, decreed for her water and dates. So this is something that people have taken from Qur'an al-Karim that when a woman is expecting and when she is near the end of her nine-month conception period or and or the onset of labor pains that she should also drink water and if it's possible she should have zamzam if she has access to zamzam and she should also eat dates because this was the nourishment that Allah subhanahu wa sent Say that the Namariyam Badilatanha, so perhaps there may be some special benefit to this having this nourishment at that time. Nothing else, it is following the Sunnah or the path or the Azatav, say that the Namariyam Badilatanha. Now, this issue of fasting from speech, just so you know, Deen of Islam, that's not allowed. In our Deen in Sharia, it's not allowed to fast from speaking. But in earlier Sharia that was allowed and at the time of Sayyidina Maryam this was something that was allowed. This was also viewed as an act of worship. This is a way of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not speaking. Pledging to Allah ta'ala that you would abstain from speaking. That is no longer viewed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as an act of worship that you will accept from our Ummah or anyone from this time. Fairshu, this is why she did that thing of fasting. Now verses number 27 to 33 onward. After the baby Isa she brought the child to her people. Alright? Very important. She wasn't discovered upon. She just wanted to give birth secretly. Once the baby was born, she didn't try to hide her haya, did not lead her to become some type of runaway. She had haya, but she also had haq and she had hikmah. And she knew now that the wisdom is that I have to go and confront the situation. I cannot delay, I cannot postpone, I cannot be in denial, I cannot engage in escapism. 
I wanted to protect myself and my baby from any censure, any reprimanding. Now that I've given birth, she herself, she herself came and brought her baby, baby Isa Islam, before and in front of her community. Alright. And then they said to her when they saw her with the baby, Ya Maryam, that, Oh Maryam, that you have done an immense, immensely, enormously grave act. Then they call, Ya Ukhta Harun, that you are the sister of Harun al-Islam, Ma kana abuki, that in, and then your father was never an evil person, and your mother, neither mother was your mother buggy. So they start talking about her family, the most hurtful things, right? That you have done something that does not befit your lineage, does not befit your family members. So what did she do? Fa'asharat ilayh. She just indicated towards baby Isa al-Islam who she was cradling. So Qawlu, they told her, كَيْفَ نُقَلِّمُ مَنْ كَانَ فِي الْمَحَدِ سَبِيَّةِ How can we talk to this infant who is in your lap, who is just a baby in a cradle? And then Sayyidina Isa al-Islam spoke, Qaw, this is Sayyidina Isa al-Islam said, إِنِّي أَبْدُ اللَّهُ That I am the servant and slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now this was a community of believers. Remember, these are the people of Sayyidina. This qawm is the qawm of Sayyidina Zakarila Islam. This is a qawm of mu'mineen. Right? This is a qawm of people who believe in Allah SWT. So for people who already believe in Allah SWT and had a Nabi in their midst, Sayyidina Zakarila Islam, the most forceful thing was that inni Abdullah, as opposed to Ayatullah or Rasulullah. Right? That I am the servant and slave of Allah SWT. Then immediately, Atani al Kitab wa Jaalani Nabiya. And Allah subhanahu wa is already baby. Sayyidina Islam saying that Allah Ta'ala has given me a kitab and has made me a Nabi. Allah Akbar, so I'm Abd and Nabi and Rasul. Wa Jaalani Mubarakan Ainamakunt. And Allah Ta'ala has made me blessed and a source of barakah wherever I may happen to be. Wa awsani, and then Allah subhanahu has enjoined upon me bis salati to pray salah, was zakati and to pay zakah, ma dumtu hayya, as long as I am alive. Then, and Allah subhanahu has also made me now hear, Isa is going to He's not going to say my parents, because he just has a mother. Right? Allah ta'ala has made me to be kind to my mother. Walam yaj'alni jambaran shakiya. And Allah does not made me rebellious and wretched and treacherous. Wassalamu alayya yawma walidda. Same thing you saw there with Yahya al-Islam. May salam be on me the day I was born. Wa yawma amutu the day I die. Wa yawma ub'athu hayya. And the day I'll be resurrected. So again, this is now the rough that Allah Ta'ala gave Sayyidina Zakir something special. Sayyidina Yahya al-Islam with attributes that no one before had had. And then in Sayyidina Zakir, Allah Ta'ala gave Say that the Maryam Banana say that Isa Islam with those same attributes. Alright. What made Sayyidina Maryam Banana do Ishara to Sayyidina Isa Islam? She didn't receive revelation from Allah Subhanahu to do that. She was a woman of understanding. She knew she was on a haq and to give a haq the ability to articulate itself. That is sufficient. And that is something, a lesson also we should learn. From this incident, that whenever we are in a situation in which there is doubt, maybe suspicion, rumor mongering, hype, hysteria, slander, right? 
immediately, without delay, you should go and confront the situation and you should say the haq. You should enter the situation and you should let the haq speak out. And that is exactly what Sayyidatul Mariam Badawadanna and Sayyidatul Islam did. Right? And when Sayyidatul Islam spoke, then even as a baby he revealed himself to be a Nabi. Now, what you have very briefly, because I have to stop, but what you're going to have in the future, in the life of Sayyidina Islam, in his lifetime, the Jews are going to be upset with him. And many of the people in this community that he lives in will be upset with him. So, one extreme reaction. And then, after he passes away, you're going to have another extreme reaction, which is the Christians are going to be so enamored of him, so in love with him, that they're going to deify him. They're going to make him part of the Holy Trinity. They're going to view him as the son of Allah SWT. They're going to view him as God. They're going to pray to him, O Jesus Christ, etc., etc. So he is, you know, a very important pivotal figure in understanding the Islamic perception or the Islamic perspective on both Judaism, but obviously especially Christianity, but also Judaism. So we'll stop over here because it's also time. And now, you know, from verse 34 onward, there will be more about Sayyidina Isa and as far as what Islam has to say about Christianity, this is a very important surah. And you know, many Christians don't even know. Even just this fact, if you tell them is something that puts them, gets them curious about Islam, that the Quran has a whole surah called Surah Maryam. Because they just don't know. Just like most of you have no idea what the chapters of the Bible are. Average Christian has no idea what the different surahs of the Quran are. And sometimes showing a Christian how much in Quran is mentioned about Sayyidina Maryam and about Sayyidina Isa and then also secondly Sayyidina Musa Islam and the earlier prophets but especially for them right Sayyidina Maryam and Sayyidina it's a big thing for them right uh, and I know they're not you know it's a Muslim majority country but there are Christians in this country as well and you know this is something that you have to first build the common ground with the Christian they have to see a lot of things that they're emotionally attached to inside Islam because they are very emotionally attached to who they call the quote-unquote the Virgin Mary and the Mother Mary and the Holy Mother or many ways they refer to her, right? So for them to see that Sayyidatana Maryam is deeply in Quran and that we have a love for her which may not be manifested by putting her statue up and by parades and processions but it's a very important thing, right? So anybody who is engaged in any such dawah they should, you know, be well acquainted and well versed with the surah. Wa akhirat da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.